Hey guys, thanks for joining us again for another episode. Just a few quick notes before we get started. There are some audio issues on my end during the recording, so if you hear any moments of jumbled audio or anything like that, I just want to apologize for that up front. Secondly, we get into Book of Boba Fett in the later part of the episode, and we got right into spoilers without giving our usual warning. So if you haven't finished the show and you want to, be aware that we will immediately get into spoilers. Don't forget to check the time code as well if you want to avoid spoilers for now. Thanks for listening as always, and we hope you enjoy. Hey guys, we're back. Wow, that started peaking very quick. I saw that. Put that noise gate on there immediately. Anyways, what's up guys? We're back. It's another episode of Nick and Manny's Infinite Podcast. It's been a little bit since we recorded an episode, but we did do a commentary while we were gone. And when I say we, I mean me and Nick. Hi, Nick. It's me. I'm Nick. I'm, I'm the one that's always here, right? Exactly. You're always here. You'll be here when I'm not here on the next episode. Yeah. Exactly. And the next episode will be Super Bowl Talk. We'll see what I end up doing. Okay. Maybe I do another... Another Taylor Swift episode, baby. No. Sorry, Kat, Steph, if you're listening to this, Amy, if you're listening to this, I don't mean that personally. It just drained the life out of me. Anyways, we're back. And boy, do we have a lot to talk about this episode. We thought that we were going to have a lot to talk about in general for this episode. And then Tuesday... And today, which is Wednesday when we're recording this, Tuesday and Wednesday happened, and so much more came out. So we are filled this week. But talking about here first, folks, we are filled. Yeah, I was about to make that joke too. (laughs) Uh, But this week, while we're still on the topic, I start shooting the movie. Hey, um, it's been non-stop work for the last two weeks pretty much we did our giant presentation which i don't know if i mentioned here but yeah we did a presentation about like hey here's our pre-production here's shot lists that um we never actually did we didn't do shot list kurt if you're listening to this i know you're not but if you are um yeah we didn't do them but there's a lot of pre-production work that we were quote unquote supposed to do and then our teacher didn't even look at it and he just went off the presentation So we were up until like 3 a.m. working on that the day of, and then we woke up, I woke up a couple hours later at 6. Um, We did our presentation, and we got our points, and we were all just very upset that we went through all that work and the lack of sleep for him to not even look at the pre-paperwork. Yeah, that blows. I had a lot of teachers like that in college that were like mildly interested, and then they just kind of weren't anymore. Yeah, and it's like... You know, this is what we need to graduate, so I'd like to be able to do good on it. That way I can graduate in the fall, and then my friends can graduate in May. So I'm just hoping that it all goes well, but I think it's going to go well. We had a little chit-chat with our actors on Saturday, and then Sunday we met up for something. No, Sunday we had our little chit-chat with the actors. Saturday, I don't know what I did. Saturday is a blur. I know that it happened. I have no clue what I did. I think you, me, and Elena watched some movies that night, and Bobby was there, and Herman was there. Yeah, we had a we had a little movie night, and we played a game before that that we're gonna get into later. Yeah, we did play a game, which I had told you about, and I was like, hmm, we'll see. And uh, I'm curious to know your thoughts because <laughs> I would like to continue it, but we'll see what happens, guys. We play stuff together. When we're not actually recording content. I know that that might be crazy to believe that people can talk outside of content spheres, but we do. 
That's weird. It's actually getting, it had been getting close to the point where everything I was doing was for content. I was refraining from talking about stuff for the sake of content because I knew I would have content or have to do content down the line. Like we'll get into a certain game that I've been doing Twitch streams of. There was a point, I think last week, where I wasn't playing it because I knew I couldn't stream it. And I was like, well, I should wait until I can stream it because the people have been watching me stream almost the entire game. So I am now fully infected with content creator brain and i hate it and i think i had a tweet basically talking about that the other day yeah i don't have that to the like complete extent there are things where i won't talk to certain groups of people about things because i'm like hey go listen to the podcast episode if you want to hear about it but other than that while we're still talking about content go subscribe to our twitch uh technically it's my twitch but nick uses it um because there's more audience there so it helps both of us out and he reached affiliate. I don't know if we mentioned that on this show, but Manny's Twitch is monetized now. So me using it's a way of helping him out as well. Helping my boy get that paid. That is true. You know how it is. Exactly. He doesn't have exactly. the full-time job that I have, so he needs to get paid. And I'm helping my dude get paid. Sigma grind set, baby. <laughs> Sigma grind set. But yeah. Yeah, we've been doing a lot of Twitch lately. We played one game together multiple times um, on stream. That has taken over my life for the last couple of weeks. But outside of that, I was playing the... 2013 tomb raider reboot which you had only played a little bit of you were like oh it's cut it's a quick time event the video game which you know the first hour i guess is but the more that you go into it i don't know how much you actually saw but it does get way more into video game stuff as you go along in my opinion and it's been six six and a half years i think since i touched that game so i mean i i could go i could do with going back and playing it at some point but yeah the first couple hours i think even right after it opened up i was still feeling like it was too restrictive for my liking and too reliant on the quick time stuff but again those are very old opinions now yeah and it had been a while since i played it as well because i played it probably yeah like maybe like seven years ago was the last time that i played that one in specific so it was a nice refresher. I decided to play them, A, because I like them, and then B, because they were free on the Epic Store, so I wanted to just get them, and I did. So that was fun. I finished that last night at, like, 1.20 a.m. Yeah, I was in bed by the time uh, you started that stream. <laughs> yeah, I know. I said, like, all right, here's a late-night stream, because I was waiting for two pieces of content, one of which I'll just... Uh, I'll just say, uh, I was waiting for the Book of Boba Fett finale, which I wasn't actually waiting for. I didn't watch it that night. I watched it the morning this morning, um, but I was really waiting for the Hawkeye behind the scenes. So, oh, of course. Hey, that's out now for those that <laughs> want to go see it. I saw like the first forty minutes of it, and then I fell asleep. But anyways, that was the thing that I st- stayed up for. But I was like, hey, I'll finally finish Tomb Raider. That way, I can complete a game and then move on to the next thing which might be Dying Light, it might be the second Tomb Raider game, I'm not sure yet, but yeah, content creation mode, it's everywhere. My brain is also in the thing of like, how can I turn this into content? Yeah, I'm kind of the same now. Just because like, at least as far as like doing Twitch streams and doing the show and the commentaries, I genuinely enjoy doing those. I don't feel burnout in the sense that I feel like I have to do this to keep doing it for a job like a lot of people do. I do it because I genuinely enjoy it. And I enjoy that, you know, especially on the Twitch streams, we have all our friends in there talking to us the whole time. It's fun to do that stuff. It doesn't feel necessarily like a grind or like a job. Uh, Yeah, I agree with that because so much of it is just like, all right, I have a couple free hours. I might as well just do this, get more content out there and then keep going on with my day. So there have been a couple of those 
that I've done where I'm like, all right, I'm just going to stream this. The one that I was really excited for was the board game night. That was very fun. I enjoyed that very much. But it's also because I like that game. So I don't know how everyone else felt, but that was fun. Yeah, we did it with our friend of the show, Edith. We've mentioned her a lot, but we don't ever actually bring her on for <laughs> anything. She recently got a puppy. She no, did. I love that dog so much. And you're at El Padrino now. Yeah, I'm the godfather of the dog. Godfather, son, house of God. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> fuck you. Uh, do I have to pull a block for that one? Yeah, yeah, you probably should. All right, I'm pulling a block for that one. But no, Edith got a puppy. I believe that was, it wasn't like the runt or anything, but it was one of like the last dogs of the family to get adopted. And so she was talking with her landlord and she was just sort of like waiting to hear back from them and be like, hey, can I get the dog? Can I get the dog? And she's like, all right, screw it. I'm just going to go get the dog and deal with it later. Yeah. So she went and got the dog and it's adorable. I love that dog. It has two different eyes. It's very cute. We do love dogs here. Cats, not so much, unless your name is Burger, but we love dogs. Never been able to actually get acquainted with a cat. My mom is allergic to cats, so I've never really been around that many. I'm sure they're perfectly nice animals, but I've never had the uh, opportunity to acquaint myself with one. I've been around a couple cats. A couple of my friends in high school had cats, so I'd go over to their place and we'd hang out. Well, I mean, you don't really hang out with cats like you do dogs, but cats were just there roaming around. But dogs, on the other hand... My friends have some awesome dogs. Golden Retriever named Charlie. Oh my god, he's so, so beautiful. Such a wonderful dog. Then a little boy named Baxter. Ooh, he's a little devil, but I love that guy. (laughs) My friend had two Basset hounds named Bonnie and Clyde. Nice. Clyde sadly had to be put down. But Bonnie is still alive, and we love Bonnie. She ate ate one of our pizzas when we were filming something (laughs) one time. I will never forget that, because we were, we literally got the pizzas into the house and we set them down, and then we went to go get some other stuff. There was a box on the floor, and half of it was already gone. And we're like, Bonnie, we just put these down. So now we just say that she's fat. How do you know it was Bonnie? Uh, Bonnie was tongue deep down in that pizza. <laughs> Where's the proof? I don't see any proof of this. How am I supposed to give you proof? Exactly. Justice for Bonnie. But now they have a, another dog named Apache, and he's wild. He was very aggressive in the beginning, but um, I've come to love him. He's a beautiful dog. So there's a shout out to all the dogs. Oh, wait. And then my friend has a dog named Lux, which is light in Latin or something like that. Mm. So can't forget our friend I Elena, who has, sheep, who has uh, Vader and Ahsoka. Yes, they have their, do- their Shebas, Vader and Ahsoka. Did you see that they were thinking about getting another dog? I saw that there had been discussions. Yeah, those discussions were had. So let's see if there's another dog that comes into the family. (laughs) I love that we're just talking about all of our friends directly now. Yeah, whatever. They know. They all listen, maybe, hopefully. But guys, animals are awesome. Yeah, moral of the story, animals animals are awesome. Pet a dog if you get the chance. Yes, I don't like snakes, but that's the topic for another. Me either. You know all about that. Oh, I know all about that. (sighs) No, uh, Nick and I are both Indiana Jones when it comes to snakes. We, uh, we're not fans of those things, but we are fans of a lot of other things like video games. What a segue. What a segue. I love it. Video games, guys. We play them. We play them together. Um, I have not been playing a whole lot without other people, so I'll just get some of the quick ones out of the way. Tomb Raider 2013. Played that on Twitch. I mentioned that earlier. That was a fun game. I enjoyed it very much. I like the introduction to this 
version of Lara Croft. I think it works out really well, all things considered. Narratively, is probably the best. Maybe it's the second best. I like Rise of the Tomb Raider a lot, but I think it's definitely a first game in a series. Rise of the Tomb Raider just sort of elevates and everything that that game did, but does it better. And then Shadow of the Tomb Raider is just a notch below it. It's fine. All things considered, there were just a couple things that were missing or not done perfectly. So Tomb Raider 2013, I recommend it. Then Phasmophobia, I don't like the game. <laughs> I play it with friends just because because they were generous to get it for me. It's a ghost hunting game for those of you who are unaware where you walk as slow as molasses, Jesus Christ, you're walking like four centimeters each second. It's horrendous. You walk so slow in that game. There's no sprint. You're just walking around like a headless chicken trying to search for clues. And maybe it's because I don't invest that much time into the game. I think I'm like level four or something like that. And they're all in the hundreds. And I'm like, oh my God, like, geez. Yeah, that's a game that I've been playing. Sorry to hear that. Tabletop games. Um, friend of the show, Max, introduced us to, and by us, I mean me and a bunch of other people, to King of Tokyo. I've heard of the game before, but I did not play it until then because I had read the rule book because I read rule books uh, for games all the time. Listen, if I can't <laughs> play the board games, I'd like to know how they're played. Oh, yeah. No, That's you need to know easy. how they're played. Well, well okay. Yes. I'm not going to bother learning one unless I know I'm going to play it. I don't bother teaching myself until I sit down to play the game. Yes. So I'll read the books and try to play the games myself before I play them with other people. So that's one that I have had like for a year, not physically on Tabletop Simulator, but I've had that for like a year just waiting for one day we'll play it eventually. And uh, we did. It's actually really simple. It's just throwing dice, adding numbers, and then sort of calculating from there. But those games can go on for a while. They can go on for like an hour plus sometimes. So if you have the time, it's fun. If you don't, I completely get that. Yeah, I don't have the time right now, but you did very generously get it for me. So whenever whenever I have the time and you have the time, we are going to play it together. And I'm looking forward to that because King of Tokyo in particular, I saw that like last year sometime in a board game store. And I was curious because I'm like, oh, this is Godzilla. And I like Godzilla and I'd be curious about what this game is. And I believe... Well, if you were playing that, then I should have access to that, right? You just need, like, one person in the party to have access to a game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just one person needs okay. to have access to it, um, which is the good thing about Tabletop is that the community workshop just gives you... Well, A, it's built into Tabletop to where only one person needs the game to play it. The host is the only person that needs to have the game to play it. But then B, the community workshop, which is everyone creating, you know, replicas of the board games and stuff, filled with so many games that you don't pay for, you just download for free. So I've been able to play a lot of board games through there, but also rediscovering old ones that I played in middle school or high school or whatever, and just keeping on with that. So I've done that. As for the last couple of games, they've all been games that I've played with other people. And I think I've played both of these with you. Have, yeah. Yeah, I did. So I don't know if you have anything else that you want to say before we get into the games that we've both played together but that's it for me there is one for me and it's the new big release of the last couple weeks i've been playing it on twitch a few times if anybody's been following that on manny's channel um i have been playing pokemon legends arceus or arceus i'm pretty sure it's arceus um i think it's arceus damn it god damn it <laughs> i think it's arceus um, look i've been playing pokemon legends uh on the switch yes. 
and uh, I've been enjoying it so far. I've, uh, as far as mainline games go, I played the entirety of Sword and Shield. That was my first like Pokemon game of any kind outright. Uh, and then I, when I bought my 3DS, uh, one of the games that the person who sold it to me had was Pokemon Sun. So I played, I would say like a third of that game, and it's the same. It's pretty much the exact same Pokemon formula, and it feels like if I go back and play earlier games in the series, they're all going to be like that. And I enjoy Pokemon, but that formula wears thin for me already, even after the one and a half games that I played. Uh, so I was looking forward to Pokemon Legends as hopefully, you know, a break from that formula. They pretty much hyped it up as Breath of the Wild for Pokemon, and I love Breath of the Wild. So a lot of aspects of that, I was looking forward to seeing how they were integrated in this game. And it's in that regard as terms of how in terms of how they integrate those elements it's a bit of a mixed bag it is an open world with an asterisk you get i think four to six different areas you can explore and you get a hub world like a main town that you can wander around um so it's not open world in the sense that it is one big old map and you can just explore the entire thing seamlessly you'll have transition points you'll have loading screens you'll have edges where you can't explore any further and you'll have different transition areas from uh, point to point on the map but yeah, as far as that goes, it's a bit more freeing than your usual Pokemon exploration is, even though I think Sword and Shield made strides in that as far as the wild area goes. It, it does feel a lot like the wild area in that game, which was my favorite part, just going through the wild area and finding all the different Pokemon. Like that part of the Pokemon gameplay loop is still enjoyable, and it's still present here. You'll get all your different Pokemon in different specific areas. Sometimes they'll overlap, sometimes they won't. Sometimes you'll see a, a really rare one, like I saw a Pichu in the wild, and I messed up my Pokeball throws, so I missed the Pichu, and now I haven't seen a Pichu in the wild since. It's pissing me off because I really want a Pichu. But yeah, uh, you see all these different Pokemon around. It's like it's fun to go catch them. It's a slight tweak as far as the battle system goes and the catching. You can catch Pokemon without engaging them, uh, without engaging them in a battle, um, if you sneak up on them, you have more likelihood of actually catching them, which I enjoy. It's, it creates a bit more tension and also a bit more mechanical depth in terms of the gameplay and how you approach catching a Pokemon. Some of them you're just going to have to fight, and the fighting can still be as frustrating as it always has been for me. I'm not very good at the fighting. I know that. I need to be more strategic than I am. So in that sense, the fighting is a little bit frustrating to me. I do like the presentation of the fighting more. As the player, you can actually move around freely watching the fight, looking at it from different angles. And then if you jump in front of the uh, rival Pokemon, you can be hit by them and take damage, which is cool. Otherwise, like the story is just kind of whatever. You know, I don't really play Pokemon for the story. It's there to get you from point A to point B. I believe it's the same region that Diamond and Pearl takes place in just like thousands of years before or whatever, because it's got the got earlier versions of the Diamond and Pearl clans. So I think that's Gen 4, and I think those are who your starters are. I went with Cyndaquil as my starter. Uh, I love Cindy. Uh, the other two starters are cute, but I went with Cindy this time. I went with uh, Sobble in Sword and Shield, I think. Uh, I, I'm usually a water-type guy, but I went with the fire-type this time. The Pokemon are all enjoyable to fight against. They're all enjoyable to discover. Most of them are enjoyable to fight with. I haven't found our Lord and Savior Magikarp yet. I'm very much looking forward to finding a Magikarp. Shout out to our buddy Pete. I will put Magikarp in my party so I can evolve him and turn him into a Gyarados. That's right. Yeah, I think all in all, it's enjoyable. I'm, I think I'm like two-thirds of the way through, judging by how many areas are, I'm still left to unlock and how long I've heard the game is, at least to beat the main game for people. But I'm enjoying it so far. It's not reinventing the wheel. It's not as innovative as I would hope it would have been. It still feels like Pokemon formula deep down, but it's enjoyable. It's at least enough of a break from the usual Pokemon formula that I enjoy it a bit more. But I'm hoping this game seems to have done really well. I'm hoping the next one will be 
a bit more, I guess, innovative would be the word, even though I, I don't hold my breath for that because this is the Pokemon company. Which is really interesting because I've heard a lot of people say that this was a big innovation. So I guess people want different and maybe it's because you've only played two or three of the mainline Pokemon games and you've played two or three of the newer ones that it doesn't seem like a, that big of a evolutional jump, generational jump, I guess, if you want. But I think that that definitely has something to do with it. But I don't know. Yeah, I think starting with Sword and Shield and having that wild area there, this does feel a lot like the wild area. Because the wild area, you can just freely explore. Again, you've got Pokemon that are in certain regions, and sometimes there's overlap. And it's a big area for you to explore. And that's the same idea here. So I guess I feel like that part has been done before. And I hoped, obviously, the Switch is uh, behind in terms of just raw power and being able to run games well. So... I don't know if they would have been able to seamlessly create a whole open world like you got in Breath of the Wild, which has its own frame rate issues in certain areas of the map, but it still is one seamless world that you explore. Um, maybe if the next one comes out on the next Nintendo console, then hopefully, fingers crossed, it can push the capabilities of the of the console a little bit more. But I think we're pretty much at the limit of what we can expect in terms of uh, Switch games in that regard. Yeah, I'm just waiting for the Switch Pro LED to come out finally. And then we will have better games, well, better looking games, because that's a big thing for me is that I understand that the Switch is not a, you know, graphical console or anything like that. But Mario Odyssey looks way better than that. Even looking at which we'll get to later, even looking at something like Xenoblade Chronicles, it doesn't look great. Like you can see the low pixel count, but it looks so much more dynamic and alive and like an actual world rather than just planes with some grass here and there that you just copy and paste throughout. But I have not played the game, so I'm not going to speak any more to that. I'm just saying, to me, the actual environment that you're going through did not look that interesting and like something that would hook me. And people will say the same thing for something like a game that I'm excited to play, which is Dying Light 2. People are like, oh, but it just looks gray and, and all this other stuff. And I'm like... Yeah, but the gameplay really just carries you. Like, I'm not saying that Dying Light isn't pretty, because what I've seen of it, it look it looks like a good game in general. But like, there's the traversal that has so much to do with it, the enemy types that has so much to do with it, the weapons that have so much to do with it, the way that you combine all of them that has something to do with it. You know, now you have a grappling hook that you can have that'll get you through the places, the verticality of the buildings, the difference in when you're in a zombie world versus when you're in a human world, when you're in the higher places that have more protection versus when you're in the lower places that don't, when you're in the daylight, when you can see where you're going and when it's nighttime and you're looking for a UV spot. Like there's just so much more dynamism. Is that the word? Dynamism in the dying light world for me personally to where like, sure, it might look gray and brown or whatever, but A, that's the world and B, the world is still interesting regardless of that. And Arceus didn't look like it would have that for me personally. I, I can say in that regard, it doesn't really. It does mostly feel like grassy plains. I think there was a snow area that I might have been to, or maybe I still have to find it. I'm sure there's a snow area. There was the lava place too, where you got mad at the game. Oh yeah, there was there was one little lava island where I almost threw my controller at my at my TV. I'm not gonna get into that right now. But yeah, there's like there's a couple places like that, but mostly the game is just it just feels static in that regard. And I think that's where 
if you're on a console like this that can't push you power-wise where the other consoles do, you have to make up for it in some other area. Nintendo's good about doing that uh, in terms of depth of gameplay in their biggest games. So I think something like Breath of the Wild, again, I'll mention, I think it's great at doing that. It's great at giving you like this big old sandbox to play in and all these different ways to approach your battles and stuff like that. So you never feel like you're doing the same thing twice in the game. Uh, I think something like Mario Odyssey is really good at, again, being dynamic, like you mentioned, having all these different places with different aesthetics and different uh, different enemy types for you to use your uh, capture ability for. It keeps the game feeling fresh all the way through, and it feels dynamic. It feels alive. The art style is beautiful. I think you can make up for uh, poor graphics with a great art style. Nintendo's been doing that forever. Like, you look at the Mario Galaxy games on the Wii, the Wii was not powerful. The Wii was also in standard definition, but that doesn't make the Galaxy games any less beautiful. And I think that's where Nintendo thrives, and I think that's where... I couldn't tell you if it's a Nintendo call or a Pokemon Company call or a little bit of both, but there's not an interest in doing that in Pokemon. It, it still feels very iterative. It feels like they know that they've got their built-in fan base that will buy everything, and they're taking advantage of that, at least in their mainline games. I think something like the new Pokemon Snap game looked beautiful, but that game sold like 2 million versus the 20-something million that the regular games sell. So that tells them what they need to know, I suppose. 14 million is what Sword and Shield sold. Get it right. Uh, no, wait. No, sorry. Uh, that's what Diamond and Pearl uh, sold. Yeah, already. So. It'll it'll get into the 20s for sure. Yeah, exactly. But talking about Pokemon games that we have played together. All right, guys. So it's a running bit on this show that I'm the only person that plays Pokemon Unite. Um, that is a damn lie now because I have gotten Nick to play Pokemon Unite a couple times this last week, week and a half or so. Pretty much over the last month or so. Um, me, friend of the show, Max, Edith, a bunch of other people, we have gotten back into Pokemon Unite really just full force. Um, I'm a Blastoise main. My guy, he looks like a Cuban drug lord, but you know, it is what it is. We have been going hard into like ranked play mostly. That's mostly what we play is we'll do ranked. And when you're working with a five stack of everyone communicating and knowing what they're doing, oh, chef's kiss, beautiful, fun game, gorgeous game. The, I still love the game. I think it's very fun. I think for being a free-to-play game and the fact that they just gave you another character. No, wait, that was Apex, my bad. Oh, I've been playing the new season of Apex, by the way. It's fun. Pokemon Unite. It is simplistic and it's fun and that's what I need. And it's so active in the regards of like you're always doing something or after every match you're getting something. Um, I was telling Nick... I am already level 46 in the Battle Pass that released last Sunday out of 60. So in a week, I have completed two-thirds of the Battle Pass. Three-fourths. So, Three-quarters. Well, it's also two-thirds. Well, um, yes, whatever. Um, That's not how but, but okay. it has been fun. So I'd like to turn it over to Nick now because I remember when he played it, he was like, yeah, you know, it's okay. And now that he has played with me and with edith i think you also played a game with max as well yeah a few. um your thoughts now that you've played with a with a group of people that are communicating yeah so when i tried the game uh shortly after it came out solely on your recommendation i played a few games of i guess quick play if that's what it's called and it was just by myself and i didn't know what i was doing i was picking between different pokemon had no idea what their moves did and i was just kind of running around with no with no strategy that's not the way to a, be good at the game, but B, just enjoy the game. I think the game is enjoyable the more you know what you're doing and also the more the people around you know what you're doing. So you don't have to pick up all the slack. 
once I started playing it with you and then we would add other people and I started to understand exactly what the game was and how much, I mean, there's not much strategy to it in the sense that you like, once you know what to do, you pretty much just do the same thing every time and hope that your teamwork is good enough to be able to be on the, the better end of those battles. If you're going top path or bottom path, you have pretty much your whole strategy set, you know, like you and more than me, obviously, but you know, which Pokemon are going to spawn there, which ones you need to kill, how you need to approach leveling up, how you need to approach when you're actually going to score points in the enemy team's goals. You have to do that strategically. But once you know, you know, and I, I feel like I've pretty much gotten the hang of that. Obviously, I'm not as experienced as all the people I've been playing with. Um, but I'm enjoying the game at this point because I know what I'm doing and I have, I'm a Pikachu man at the moment. I played some of Dragonite, but once I unlocked Pikachu, he's all I've been using because I feel like I do extremely well with him. I like his moves and I like all the different paths that I can do with him. I feel like he doesn't really have a weak move uh, in his whole tree at the moment in terms of what I've played. Uh, so I, I might just stick with him the whole time because I do really well with him. Uh, so yeah, it was a process. The first the first day we played together, I think our Twitch stream might still be available as of recording for this. You could tell I was not enjoying the game. You could tell Manny was also not enjoying me playing the game with him at that point because he was so far ahead of me in terms of how much he'd played and how much he knew, and I didn't know. I just didn't know what the fuck I was doing. Uh, but once I got to the point where I did have an idea of what I was doing, the game became really fun, and I enjoy hopping back into it with you every time we do it. I don't know if I'll play it by myself just because I don't want to get frustrated with a bunch of randos that i can't communicate with but every time we play it together now i'm enjoying it and i also don't play by myself for that exact reason <laughs> i'm like i'm pretty sure playing this game gave me hives i think that's what happened because i got so stressed and worked up playing the game all in all yeah playing with friends oh so much better so much better not just because it's a team game but because of what you're saying with the synergy with everyone when they know what they're doing and you're just friends talking, chatting, having fun. But when you're playing with your friends and you're chatting and you guys are communicating and you're getting the I don't know and then you're saying Dreadnought's up in 30 and then you're like we gotta go get Rotom up top or pushing their top. There's a Blastoise and a Zerora there. Like you just start knowing everything. Also, this is how I learned Pokemon names was this game. So... I learned, I learned it through uh, our Safari Zone in our Discord. I learned it from Safari Zone, but then this game has helped me learn more as well. This game had a few that I didn't that I didn't know. Like, I didn't know Dreadnought. I didn't know Rotom. I didn't know... Did you know Greedent? I don't think I know Greedent now, to be honest with oh, you. Okay. But yeah, it just sort of reminds me, and this is going to sound really weird, but playing this game reminds me of playing like an old Call of Duty with friends where you guys are all just chilling, hanging out, having fun most of the time, but then also being upset when things happen. I had a, a an outrage against Blissey and uh, Wigglytuff during stream. That was fun. So there are definitely those kind of moments where it just brings out the rage in you. But all in all, for a free-to-play game, all things considered what it could be, which is a microtransaction hell, which it kind of is in general, but I think you're given way more for like free in my opinion, and I think the replay value is high. The sense of getting better and then being rewarded for the time that you play. And I feel that all the time with this game. I feel like the learning curve in that game is such that you will not have a good time if you're not good at it or if you're not doing well at it. Because that was how it felt for me. And once I got the hang of it, and once I started figuring out how to work well with the team, I started enjoying the game. Yes, and that's most MOBAs, is if you don't know what you're doing, you're not going to have a fun time. But when you do, 
it's it clicks because I'm sure for you at one point it just sort of clicked and then you're like oh okay this is what I'm supposed to be doing and now that you know you're having more fun and also playing with friends that point for me was just when I uh unlocked Pikachu and I started using Pikachu (laughs) (laughs) yeah I'm sure it was at that point were you playing with Edith as well I think I got him I got Pikachu before but I don't think I played that many games before that point okay because I know, like, at one point, you and Edith started working together as well, and you guys were good up top. It is figuring things out, which I like to a certain extent, but I also like having other people teach me, especially for MOBAs. So that's that's fun. I'm glad that you are enjoying it. I am still playing it. It says logged 55 plus hours. I think it's higher, but whatever it says over 55 hours but there was another game that we did play together there was and this is a new game that released maybe a couple weeks ago it is by the people that made a game called guacamelee have you played guacamelee before i have not i also have not but i know that it's a platformer beat-em-up kind of game i believe is what it is um this is a game called nobody saves the world You are playing this little character. He looks like the Pillsbury Doughboy. (laughs) You land in a place unexpectedly. Someone has been, has gone missing and you're sort of tasked with trying to find them, I guess is like the simple way of putting it. It is a roguelike ARPG game where you're going into these dungeons or these rooms or just like discovering the map and you're fighting enemies. Like if it was Diablo, you have a couple abilities that you're doing. You're leveling up, you're getting more. And the ultimate goal, I guess, is to find is to find the guy who's missing and see if they're missing or they're dead and sort of unlocking more things as you go. Now, I was the one who recommended this one to you because I was like, oh, this looks like fun. This looks like something that we could play together. And so I'd want to I want to know what you thought of it before I give my thoughts. So I didn't really know what to expect. I was like, okay, it looks like a charming little indie game. It was like less than one gig, I think, to install on my Xbox and I figured I'd try it with you one night, maybe on stream. We didn't actually stream this one. Maybe if we go back, uh, when we go back to it, we might stream that time. Because uh, I do want people to kind of see what this game is, because I enjoyed this game. It's really charming. The writing is really witty, really funny. I feel like you and I were, were just cracking up all the time at all the dialogue. You were you were reading the dialogue aloud to me, which was funny. And there was just a lot of a lot of good uh, good dialogue from, it's mostly one villain character that you talk to, but a lot of the people you see on your journey are just very cute and funny. And the gameplay is simple, but it's enjoyable simply due to the fact that you can play as a bunch of different character types in this game. And they all, as I feel like as good game design should be, they all work well in certain situations and don't work so well in others. And you have to figure out which is which. And you've got to basically manage all your um, all your different types of characters and all your abilities within them to be good at the game. And I think we were we had finally kind of gotten the hang of the game by, by the time we stopped. I think we played about two hours or so. Two hours, which which is what most people said was that like the first couple hours, they're like, yeah, this is fun. But then something sort of happens around the two, three hour mark where they're like, oh, OK, now it's starting to click. And I think by the end of it, we were gelling more with the combat, with yeah. what to use, all that kind of stuff. I was a little lost in the combat at the start, I think. There's one character type you play as. I don't really want to spoil it. But the first one you unlock, we were playing as that for a while, and I didn't actually know how to do the combat. I think you had to tell me, you use this ability to gain some health back, and that's how you fight as that character, is that you'll take some damage, but you'll you'll use your ability and you'll get health back from the enemies you, you kill along the way. 
And once they got the hang of that, the combat became super fun. And there's some areas where enemies are way too high a level for you. I think we were level three yeah. and we encountered a, a big group of level 20s. Uh, it's like 20. Yeah. And, and we realized, oh, this isn't where we're supposed to be going. And it also led yeah. to a dead end. So it's like, oh, yeah. I mean, it's. I mean, that's also good design is that you, you yeah. get a little taste of what's to come and you can try and fight. You can try and fight them. If you're just an expert at the game, you can do it. Uh, but, you know, you should go back and you should level up. You should do what the game has to offer. You should... Ideally, play it in the order it wants you to play it, and then if you're really good, you can start messing around with stuff like that, and I think that's fun. I think that if you're someone who loves this game and wants to get really good at it, that's a level of replayability for you. See how you can get through the game in an, an optimized manner. I would be fascinated to, to see speedrunners play this game. Yeah, I, w- I want to see a speedrun of this game. Um, I enjoyed the game very much. I Like Nick was saying, the writing, I think, is just superb. I think it was really funny really witty i like the art style of it as well it's thick black lines for people that know like uh there's a lot of new quote-unquote like cal arts art styles and like disney channel or cartoon animation or, or whatever where they'll have thick black outlines sort of around them um this has that to an extent but i just really like the colors i love the art style of what they're going for i think the ways that you level up which are called forms there are some forms that I'm very excited to get to. There was one that I would not shut up about that I wanted to play. And that's one that I will be excited for when we finally unlock that to completely play that. But like you were saying, for me, it's another one of those things like you don't get a whole lot of fun co-op games where it's true co-op. Because Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee had like a mechanic where you could do co-op. It was like throwing Joy-Cons or something at the pokemon for like the balls like if it was pokemon go mario odyssey had one person playing cappy and that's i mean it's cool but it's it's not two marios or whatever this game where we're playing two of essentially the same character and we can change into whatever forms we want we can strategize i think at one point um i turned into a certain form and i would take down their shields and then you would go in and do the damage for that so like we started synergizing with those kinds of things towards the end So all those things really just come together for me and I am excited to keep playing this game because it's fun and it's cute, I guess is the word, but like, it's just cool. And that's sometimes all that a video game needs to be is fun and cool and cute. Like it doesn't have to have the best story in the world or anything like that, but good writing, that's cool. A nice art style, I'm all for that. Combat that is like Diablo light. I'm I'm fine with that stuff. And so this game is one that I will be excited to keep playing with you. Yeah, it feels like the kind of game that I play, I'd say like every few years, not necessarily a co-op game, um, but just a cute little indie game that I give like an eight out of 10 when I'm done with it. And I have a really nice few hours with it or however long the game is. And then I never really think about it again. But every time I do think about it, I just look back. At it. I just get a smile on my face when I look back on it. It won't be like my game of the year this year, probably. But every time I think about it after we beat it, I'm just going to have a little smile on my face, which you need games like yeah. that sometime. Not everything is going to be groundbreaking, but you can have a lot of really fun, just a little fun, quirky games like this. Yeah, and this is definitely that. Like I said, it's not groundbreaking, but what it does, it does really good. And that's perfectly fine by me. I don't need every game to be groundbreaking, but, you know, there are ones that stick out. I think God of War groundbreaking in my opinion even if it does what other games do it does it better take that last of us <laughs> god of war is just so good man i can't wait for ragnarok 
I can't. I cannot wait for Ragnarok. I'm kind of sad that that's going to be the end of the of this storyline. Is that it's only going to be two games rather than three? But when you name something Ragnarok, I mean, it is what it is. I'm sure it'll be a compelling story either way. I just want another one. How did we play Nobody Saves the World? Ah, uh, Xbox Game Pass, baby. Oh, we didn't. Did we? Did we talk about? Xbox buying Activision Blizzard? That was on last episode, yeah. That was? Okay. Yes. Uh, Xbox Game Pass, baby. $15 a month. You get access to hundreds of AAA games, okay? You're getting access to Halo. You're getting access to Sea of Thieves. You're getting access to Starfield when that releases. Forza Horizon 5. Banger after banger after banger. Banger? I barely know her. Uh, <laughs> Xbox Game Pass. The best thing that Phil Spencer has done for Xbox has been pivoting towards this in my opinion, it's brought a lot of new eyes to not only Xbox, but it's also brought a lot of great games to Game Pass. A lot of good indies that we've been able to play. I mean, we played this one. You got to play Psychonauts 2 through Game Pass because it was there and it was something that looked mildly enticing. So, boom, you got to play that through there. Game Pass just offers such a great value that it's kind of ridiculous that they're still going and they reach 25 million subscribers and Microsoft keeps investing and... We're getting good stuff out of it. So make sure you go subscribe to Xbox Game Pass. Uh, $15 a month for Game Pass Ultimate gets you access to Game Pass on your Xbox, on your phone, on your computer. You can get access to the cloud service. Bada bing, bada boom. It's the best deal in gaming. Go for it. We're definitely not fighting for a sponsorship. Uh, definitely not. I still need to go email. I need to go email the Game Pass people because genuinely, I think we could get one. But I guess moving away from games... We can talk about movies because you saw something that I cannot wait to talk about, which just brings a smile to my face to see that you saw it. But we talked earlier how we did a double feature on Saturday. We watched Shrek the Third and Shark Tale. I've seen Shark Tale twice in the last four months. <laughs> I'm so sorry for you. This has been I'm my so life since I met you. you, watching really dumb shit multiple times. I've seen both, or not both, I've seen High School Musical too, twice in like a span of two months because of you. I blame you for this. That's really funny, honestly. But because we had already started Shrek 1 and Shrek 2 with our friend Elena, and so we had time that Saturday. We're like, oh, what's everyone doing? And Nick was bored. But we had time, and I was like, y'all, what if we watch Shrek? What if we watch Shrek the Third? It's still on HBO Max. And we all sent the eyes, and boom, we watched Shrek the Third. I was going into this thinking, Jesus Christ, this is a terrible movie. You were going into it thinking, I mean, it's not that bad. It's it's not great, but it's perfectly watchable and fine. I came out of that movie saying, Jesus Christ, this was a bad movie. <laughs> I want to know what you came out of it thinking. I came out of it with just kind of apathy, I think. I really liked it as a kid. I think it was, uh, I saw it two weeks after I saw Spider-Man 3, which I convinced myself was the best Spider-Man movie. And while I do still like that movie, it's not. And I convinced myself the same thing of Shrek the Third. I was like, this is the best Shrek movie just because it was the it was the first new one that I really saw. Like when I was old enough to be excited for movies, it was one of those big ones. I got the DVD for Christmas that year. I watched it a bunch in the few years after that. Probably haven't seen it in around a decade or so. Maybe a little bit more than that. And I just had fond memories of it. There are there are some moments in that movie, specifically the scene where King Harold is dying. Fantastic scene, great comedy, and the rest of the movie, not so good. I noticed this time, and I was only half paying attention because we were, Elena and I, I think we're drinking, you know, we were all just like shooting the shit with each other as we do and kind of paying attention to the movie. But 
every time I would actually start paying attention a little bit, I'm like, there's nothing really going on in this movie. Uh, half the movie is Shrek away on a ship and Fiona and the other princesses, they're like in hiding. Most of the movie, nothing's really happening. It almost just feels like a movie made out of obligation because they, because Shrek 2 did so well. They're like, well, we got to make a third one. And then the fourth one feels even less necessary, uh, even though I think I'm going to like that movie more even when we watch it. I've only seen that the one time as well. But yeah, it's just not interesting, really. The Justin Timberlake character kind of sucks. There's nothing to him. And then he just becomes king at the end. It just feels very tired, I guess. Like, I'm sure the actors had fun making it with each other, but it's just, yeah, I think tired is the word. You could tell the franchise is out of steam by this point. Yeah, that's definitely what I felt because I was, yeah, I was like you. I was barely paying attention to anything that was happening. I was mostly making jokes with everyone in that voice chat that night, and that was fun. But like you said, aside from the King Harold moment at the very beginning of the movie, which is genuinely like laugh out loud funny. It's hilarious. It's great. And then, and then when they start playing live and let die, Oh, it's good. It's, it's a genuinely good scene and sequence. There are moments here and there. Just, it, I think that's the only one I remember. Well, I, I said I, that, but I'm also not thinking of another it. one that I really like off the top of my head. So exactly. maybe there, maybe there's just a moment. Yeah. Oh, um, Julie Andrews headbutting the bricks. Yeah, getting a concussion. Yeah. So, like, there's a couple moments there, but for me, overall, it's not something that I ever... Not that I never want to rewatch it. I'm just like, it's just not interesting. It's a movie that happens... It's it's a tight 92, or no, I think it's like a tight 90 even. And I'm like, this movie feels like an hour 40. For me personally, I'm like, it just feels long because nothing's happening. Again, I totally get it. And I was disappointed i thought i'd be i was hoping i'd be like the person who was you know still defending it like i watched it with fresh eyes tried tried to remove the nostalgia goggles and i still enjoyed it but i i could not i could not say that it was i think i gave it two and a half stars like it's just eh. and i don't i think i'd enjoy it less if i didn't watch it with all of you if i watched it alone i think i would have been kind of miserable speaking about miserable nick you saw shark tale twice in four months so i liked it even we less between... when we watched it together like i had fun talking you with really? you all about it but the, it felt way worse than it felt when i watched it a few months back that movie more than anything just feels like it it and i would would not be surprised if it actually were it literally feels like a live action script they reworked because shrek did so well they wanted to pump out more animated movies that's literally what it feels like and their creation of their uh, underwater world is just all american cultural appropriation you know you get all this you get all the pun name for the businesses but everything just literally it just feels like the normal world underwater with fish characters there's no character to it and yeah, it just, it sucks. I'm I'm sorry to say. It's a terrible movie. Nick, are you telling me that you didn't love Gap being turned into Gup? That was one of the better jokes of, of all those references. <laughs> that's that's the bad thing. Yeah, no, Shark Tale's not good, guys. As much as I, like, joke about liking that movie, it's not good. It's kind of, for me personally, it's laughable how bad it is sometimes. There was one thing that we realized almost at the end of the movie, we're like, Wait, is this a tale about Lenny coming out? Oh and, yeah, uh, that the whole the whole final appeal that Oscar makes to the Robert De Niro shark is like, oh, this is totally an allegory for being for having like a gay child and not accepting them. And I didn't even realize this four months ago when I watched it. I don't know how I didn't see it then, but I did see it when we were barely paying attention to the movie. But it all of a sudden hit me like a ton of bricks. It was plain as day. Oh, that's what this movie is. 
yeah, so there, it's it's not good. I think there are a couple uh, funny moments. I think whenever Martin Scorsese fish is on uh, is on screen, it's funny only because it's so bad and they somehow got Martin Scorsese to do it. Like when I think about Martin Scorsese with that hat and that chain going, yo, 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 I'm like, oh my God, why? So, so there are a couple of good things. Oh, not good. There's a couple of things that I laughed at. Um, I think the other one was the shrimp telling the story about his That's nephew and his sister. I, I, I like that one where he's like, true. His voice is so perfect for that story. <laughs> When he ends it, he's like, true story. <laughs> See, that's a good scene. I'm laughing at that. It was good. Yeah. Again, the movie has moments. It's just terrible. The movie has like two moments. It might have one more moment than Shrek the Third, but I still think Shrek the Third is better. Yeah, Shrek the Third overall is a quote unquote better film, I guess you could say. Like, it's a better movie. It's not as incompetent as Shark Tale. Yeah. But yeah, neither are good, is my opinion on that matter. I'll probably watch Shark Tale more just because, you know, nostalgia. Um, I know it's not good. I, it's not something I enjoy. But for me, it's nowhere near as bad as Cars 2. I, I'm sorry. I watched Cars 2 with friends and we tried to make it fun. We couldn't. We It was just terrible. Shark Tale is terrible, but at least we had some good jokes. There, Elena had a great one that night and that was... That was fun. Yeah, great get, get past us. We should mention our friend Elena again. They, by far, of the people in the chat, they were the person who was defending it most fiercely. Uh, they were enjoying the movie. Oh, yeah, they And were. they were enjoying it so much that they fell asleep <laughs> with about 20 minutes left in the movie. And I literally, oh, I called them so out good. by name. I was like, hey, Elena, are you still here? Because I hadn't heard them talk for a while. And I got no response. And then the movie ended. And there had been no response. We were, we were thinking maybe they took Vader outside. Maybe maybe something happened. Maybe they had to take a phone call or something. No, they, they fell asleep, and we had to kick them from the voice channel, so they weren't going to be in the voice channel all night. And I think we got a message in our Discord at like 5.20 a.m. my time that was like, oh shit, I fell asleep. Yeah, Elena was coming into this being like, it's good, Nick. It's so good. And to their credit, they were trying their hardest to make good points for the movie and like say like, nah, this is funny. Nah, this is hilarious. Look at this. Like, but at the same time, they did fall asleep in voice chat. And I know because of all the times that I've hung out with Edith, where she's fallen asleep in voice chat. I'm like, if I don't hear them for a solid 10, 15 minutes, they're knocked out. At a certain time frame, I'm like, they're knocked out. So I think I knew earlier than you did, but I didn't say anything because I'm like, eh, we'll just let them be. Because like you said, they could have been on a call with their partner or taking Vader out. But Well, I was just no, like, yeah, tw- like we're, we're talking pretty loudly. Like I think yeah. I'm like I feel like I'm pretty loud when I'm when I'm a little tipsy and I'm in a voice channel, and I I even I said their name when I was asking what was going on, and I think I've mentioned like if I hear my name whether I'm in my even if I'm in a dream when I'm just totally asleep I will wake up because that just jolts me back awake if I hear my name, so to me I'm like that would wake me up from anything so they were just passed out. Yeah, that's Shark Tale, man. That's uh, it's not good. Shark Tale and Shark the Third, but you know it is good and starts with an S. Scott Pilgrim versus the world, baby. I have been trying to get you to watch this movie since I've known you, I think. This is one of my favorite movies. I love the style, the editing, the art direction, the music and the mo- the characters. Anyways, I love the film. But Nick finally decided to watch the movie. And I'm curious to hear what you think. This is a lot of me being curious to hear what you think about all these things. 
So as I was watching the movie, I had I had one day I had one day off, so I just used the day. I think I watched like three movies in that day. This was my second, and I was playing a little game with everyone. I was like, I'm watching one of Manny's favorite movies that I've never seen before. Can anyone guess it? And no one could get it, not even you. And I was actually surprised that you did not get it because I figured, who knows your favorite movies better than you do? And surely you would go through the list and be like, he he's seen that, he's seen that. You somehow didn't get that I was watching Scott Pilgrim, and when I sent my my four-star score on Letterboxd into the Discord, you were elated, I think, and that might be an understatement. I'm, I don't think I've ever seen you as happy as you were in that moment. It was like the Bucks just won the Super Bowl last year. I Fuck was just you. like, I stood up, standing, cheering. I was like, let's go, let's go, baby, that's another victory for Manny. Uh, yeah, I was very happy about that score. I stood up. I was like in a black church. I stood up and I started running down the, running down the aisles. I was shuffling my feet. I was dancing. I was, I was excited. I mean, I was pleasantly surprised. I'd say, I think I've talked about Edgar Wright on the show before his movies that I've seen. Um, I think at this point, I just haven't seen last night in Soho, at least of his major live action movies. Um, everything else I've seen, I've liked. I don't think I've quite loved any of it. Something about his style that it it's enjoyable, but it also can be grating to me. And I was definitely worried about it with Scott Pilgrim um, because I've heard some things about it, um, some not so positive things from a lot of people. And I was curious how I would feel, particularly about Scott as a character. And I was worried for a while, but once I saw what the movie was and how it unfolded itself, I was pretty satisfied with how everything turned out. I think it's not even de- it's not even like how stylish it is that is what appealed to me it was just how it approached the characters and i really appreciate how it how it approached all the characters and pretty much how the entire movie resolved that was what i took away from it more than the edgar wright style that a lot of people seem to enjoy which i don't dislike the style but that's not the thing about this movie that made me like it i wouldn't say a hundred percent i think a lot of people that are like oh but you're supposed to like scott the movie literally starts off with uh somewhere in toronto scott pilgrim is dating a high school and they go into like wait but aren't you like 25 he's like i'm 22 you're not supposed to like scott that's kind of the whole point of the movie and i understand you know people's complaints about that and him being an ass and all this other stuff but that's his character arc in the movie is that he starts off as an ass he starts off as this person and you see the way that he interacts with each ex and how it affects him and he's just over each person that he interacts with until he becomes that person for himself and he sees like oh i'm this kind of person that he's like no i need to you know, have self-respect. I need to care for the people that I've hurt and I need to atone for my mistakes. And I'm like, he learned, he learned. And if that wasn't even more clear when him and Negascott are fighting, he's literally like, no, he's just a really cool guy. Negascott is the antithesis of what Scott is. So when he says that he's a nice guy, it's spelling it right out, right there for you. This is Scott. But outside of Scott, I do like the other characters in it. I like everyone from the band. I like young Neil. Um, <laughs> he's cool. I, I like how his whole thing is just like, I sit in the back and I play video games and it's just fun. Uh, Jimmy, Sim, John, Jimmy, Johnny Simmons, Jimmy, Jimmy Simmons, something like that. That's his name. Uh, we talked earlier in the discord. Um, it was like a month ago or stuff like that, where his name came up in something and I was like trying to go all these all through these things and you didn't know who he was. So now you know, uh, young Neil from Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. But there's just a lot of moments for me that stick out. Like when he calls his sister, it's like, hey, it's Scott. It's like, what did he do? It's like, 
no, it's me. Sky's like, okay, what did you do? It, it, like, there's character moments. It's character is the entire film is how I would describe it. Because every single, for me at least, interaction has some form of character. When you're with Wallace, you understand like, oh, he's this kind of person. With When you're with Knives, she's an impressionable high schooler that was led on by an adult and sort of sees how how other women in his life affect her. When you're hanging out with the exes, I love when they go into the hand-drawn segments of it because they got the actual artist to come back and do it. And he was very much involved with the story. Like for me, character just oozes out of this even outside of the editing or the style of the movie yeah none of the characters feel throwaway a lot of them are one note but those one note characters are the, a lot of the x's or the side characters that you only get for one scene or sequence they play the note they're supposed to play they're not supposed to play a larger role than they than they do so it's fine to have a character that's only there for five minutes be one note or if they're there for even less than that i think that's fine all your major characters have a good deal of development and all your secondary characters so like your side characters that have significant screen time if nothing else they're at least enjoyable i think kieran colkin's character if nothing else he's kind of enjoyable he's usually pretty funny in his scenes when i saw what they were first doing with this character i'm like eh, i don't know about this it could it could not have aged so well but i think it was ultimately fine it was humorous i think most of it the rest of the characters they're all enjoyable and i just like the relationships that Scott has with Ramona and with Knives, for that matter, because Knives was a much more important character than I actually thought she would be at the outset of the movie. She might have been the best part of this movie to me. I love Knives. Uh, everyone says, like, Knives deserves better. Knives is just so fun and lovable, and she goes through a great arc in the movie. So, like, you're saying about, like, oh, the one-note characters, I, I'm i with you there. Like, Aubrey Plaza's character doesn't have development but she's always fun when she's on screen. It's uh, the same with the I, sister too. And the Kendrick, yeah, Stacy. There's a line where I always quote where it's like, "Oh, do you have do you have anything from the Clash at Demonhead?" And Harry Potter's like, "Have you checked the aisle called the Clash at Demonhead?" <laughs> like there are those kinds of things where a lot of this movie just sticks out in my brain, and it might be that what the week that I saw it, I saw it like four or five times on HBO, <laughs> but. I like the story and what you're saying with the relationships between Scott and Knives and Ramona and you see the way that cheating affected all three of them and it's a thing that binds them together and then by the end you see how they all sort of, I don't want to say like accept, but they're able to move past what happened to an extent. I'd like to know your thoughts on the ending because there was an ending where Scott ends up with knives rather than Ramona. Mm. So I'm just curious what you'd think about that given what you saw in the movie. I mean, I don't think it would have been as satisfying. I think I would have been okay with it because of the good work they did with the characters in the last act of the movie. But I think it works better the way it is, but I also think it could have worked best if he didn't end up with either of them, but he was on good terms with both of them. I think that's that's how I would have done it, at least. I also think about that kind of ending as well, is if he didn't end up with either of them, but they all learned and had a, a healing process together. Yeah, they all grew and they moved on from each other, even though well, it's not like you know, like it was a negative thing for them. Like I could imagine them being friends, but I think that's that's the route that if I were making this movie, that's how I would have gone with it. But I think the way the way they did it was also good. It feels satisfying to see them get together because you are rooting for them at that point. Again, this is also me, the guy who loves the ending of Superbad, when it's just those friends saying goodbye in a very human moment and going off with prospective girlfriends, perhaps. You don't know what those relationships are like, but you know 
it's a big step forward in their life and it feels there's like a, tw- a tinge of sadness to it. Something like that, I think, would have worked here as well. But that's also my sensibilities. Yeah, I think like in regards to that, like I agree that like, that would have also been a good ending. But I like the way that they do the double ending essentially where he goes through it the first time and he's like no i'm not here for you i'm here for her and he's like scott earned the power of love because throughout the entire movie he wouldn't he couldn't say love he would say like lesbians or lesbian and like just keep going on but then when he sort of dies he's like oh i need self-respect because (laughs) i'm i don't respect myself and so when he goes back he's like no i'm not doing it for either of you i'm doing it for myself and he sort of learns the these Scott earned the power of self-respect. I think like that ending also sort of reinforces that idea to where you can have your cake and eat it too. Yeah. But no, it's it's a fun movie. I like all the X's as well. I don't the Katayanagi twins don't have a whole lot to do in the movie. They're just sort of there for a song and then they leave. But they feel like they're there by obligation. I, it almost yeah. feels like the movie was made without them, and then they realized oh, we kind of technically have to have everybody. Yeah, I think, like, that section in particular is just a little bit rushed. I just, you know, because they don't have a big importance on the story other than another trial and then a meeting place for Gideon and Ramona and Knives to all sort of be together in the same room. I would also also say unnecessary. I think if, like, it's not the end of the world if you remove that from an adaptation. You can find another way to bring those characters together, I think, easily enough. It could have trimmed a little bit off the movie. It's an enjoyable sequence, but I think if there's anything that could be cut, it's that. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I that that's really, I think, like, my only true complaint with, like, the film or, like, the filmmaking is just, like, that section is just, it's there to keep the story moving, but it kind of drags it down. Um, but other than that, I think everyone, all the exes were having fun with it. I think Chris Evans was having a fun time playing this douchebag uh, <laughs> when he's just a skater boy named Lucas Lee. And when they're doing the grinding, when he goes down the rails and the points are starting to tally up and he's like, oh, wow, wow. And they just cut back to them saying, wow, like it's yeah. just little things like that. But all of them had a good time. Brie Larson was fun in the movie, just sort of playing this overdramatic pop princess and stuff. And there is that scene where he says her name. That's a little bit extended. They cut that down just a little bit. Where she's like, Natalie, no one ever says that to me anymore. And I just sort of think of that as like, oh, she's self-reflecting. And just little things like that. But overall, I'm glad that you enjoyed the movie. I am too. I was, I didn't, I didn't think it hated or anything, but I th- I very much could have seen it getting on my nerves and it did not. I was very pleasantly surprised that it did not. So there's one other thing that I saw. Well, one other thing that I'll get into here. The big new release of, as of this recording, it was last weekend. The return of cinema to these shores for the first time in 12 years, we had the fourth entry in a beloved franchise, one of the best trilogies of all time, now no longer a trilogy. We have finally gotten the fourth Jackass film. We got Jackass Forever, uh, only in movie theaters, and I was able to go see it this Monday. I had my big old icy, as I do before I pretty much go to any movie now. It's my tradition. I sat up in the corner alone, used my fancy recliner seat, got my icy, and Watch 90 minutes of genuinely heartwarming chaos, I think is the best way to describe Jackass Forever. All the movies, you know, you feel the love that all these friends have for each other. And the crew's different this time around. There's one person that's sadly not there because he passed away. There's one person that's sadly not there because of his own demons and his issues with the crew. 
Um, but despite that, you have the old, the rest of the old crew pretty much. They're there together in one way or another. One of the one of the former crew members is now a literal crew member. He was a cameraman. But you have all these friends together, and it's genuinely heartwarming to see how much they all clearly love each other and how much fun they're all having with each other. And the new crew members all are very enjoyable as well. It genuinely feels like a family. Like all these people, even if it, they can go years without seeing each other, but that dynamic they have will never go away. Every time they're back together, it feels like magic. Heartwarming is the word for this. And also it's incredibly disgusting. There is a lot of a lot of stuff in this movie. I don't know if it's as bad in terms of gross out stuff as these movies have gotten. I think uh, number two takes the cake for that for me. But yeah, there's a lot of great stunts in here. Um, I think Aaron is the star of this movie. I get big uh, Josh McCuga vibes from Aaron uh, in this movie in particular. So for our people who know, who know who that is that are in our space with us, um, he reminded me a lot of him. He was kind of the person who would have the most visceral reactions to whatever was happening. And he was also by far the person who got put through the most in this movie. Um, particularly very sad for uh, for his little boys downstairs. It, it was a rough a rough movie for those guys. There's just a lot of great sequences. The opening sequence is much more elaborate than the rest of the movie. Um, and it's a very, very funny and very disgusting sequence. I mean, there's, I can just echo these same sentiments for pretty much the entire movie. It's another Jackass movie. If you've never liked Jackass, sorry, Cat, you're not going to like this one. If you love Jackass, I feel like this is going to be more of that for you. And, you know, all these people are getting older. This is hopefully the last one that uh, this older crew will do. Johnny Knoxville has had a lot of concussions. Steve-O's had a lot of concussions. Steve-O's had other issues. I hope all these all these guys enjoyed this, and I hope they can move past it, or at least if this series continues, hopefully they can take a different role in terms of what this what this series is going to be. Um, but yeah, it was a delight, I would say. Yeah, I've I've seen some of Jackass. I've never like sat down and watched all three movies, but I know what it is. I know what they do. I wanted to go see Jackass Forever. I didn't get a chance to because I don't have a car and an Uber is $40 round trip. Um, so no thanks. But I'm glad that people enjoyed it. I was seeing like all of our friends that were enjoying the movie and it just seemed like it was fun. And not just that, but like you, like you were saying, it did seem like genuine friends just having fun and it was heartwarming that's what i kept hearing was that as much as you were seeing dicks and balls and bees everywhere it was just heartwarming to see these friends of so long just doing what they do and having fun with it so i always love when stories do that because as much as people say like oh adam sandler movies aren't blah 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 i'm like guys he's having fun with his friends I'm not on the big, like, oh, Adam Sandler hate train, because I'm like, if I were Adam Sandler and I were in a position to make movies with my friends however I wanted, yeah. I would do it. So I would make I would make slightly better movies with my time if I were doing them with my friends, but hey. In theory, yeah. But yeah, he's, he's having fun. And I'm like, just let him. <laughs> and that's kind of how I feel. These guys had a lot of fun, you could tell. Even with all the pain they were putting themselves through, they were having a blast that positive energy is infectious like i love all these guys i followed them all on social media in the last year and they're all just a delight especially johnny knoxville uh we're not going to talk too much about wrestling here but we did see johnny knoxville at the royal rumble a couple weeks ago and it looks oh, like oh shit we did yeah we did watch royal rumble i don't know if we talked about that last episode but we did see royal rumble it wasn't a particularly good show overall but johnny was great and it seems like he's going to be around until wrestlemania to do a match with Sami Zayn. of course something could go wrong in the time between now and then but 
their little uh, on-screen rivalry did not end at the Royal Rumble because... I saw it at the red carpet. Yeah, there was a confrontation at the red carpet. So uh, if that happens at WrestleMania, I'll be on here talking about how that happened at WrestleMania. But so far, Johnny Knoxville's presence on uh, WWE has been very good, very enjoyable. He gets it. He's been there before. Um, This is his first time, I think, really getting physical in terms of like being in matches. It was funny because... You were mentioning the first match of that show, you could see the guys pulling punches, which as someone who's watched wrestling, that's just something I've accepted. Like, I know that's what they do because obviously they don't want to hit each other. Johnny Knoxville went out and he just straight up forearmed AJ Styles in the head like you would see in a Japanese match where he just like actually forearmed him as hard as he could. And then he got his ass kicked and then he got thrown out of the ring. But like, he's a stunt man. He knows how to fall. He knows how he seemed like he knew how to take wrestling moves like. He gets it more than a, your usual uh, wrestling celebrity will get it. Although Bad Bunny was also in the magic. Yeah, I was about to say, Bad Bunny gets it. Bad Bunny goes in every time and everyone I see on Twitter is like, yo, but why was Bad Bunny the best thing there? <laughs> yeah, no, he's he's fun. Like, if he wants to wrestle every now and then, he doesn't have to. He's one of the biggest stars in music right now. But it seems like something he's passionate about. And I think there will be an audience for him. And I think he's earned the respect of people who initially roll their eyes at him because like i rolled my eyes a little bit when i saw when i saw bad bunny first show because i had from my own experience of not listening to much modern music i had no idea who he was i didn't realize he was a big deal so i was like uh, another another celebrity coming in to leech off of wrestling a little bit but no he was an overall positive thing for them and it seems like he had a blast because he came back um so we'll see if he does anything else I'm, i'm sure he'll do something more down the line i'm sure he'll be back because when, because you sent me that photo of like, oh, Bad Bunny's at WrestleMania, and I was like, all right, so he's getting in the ring, right? And you're like, nah, 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 he's not, he's not gonna get in the ring. He, he will, he'll just, you know, be there to watch. They would like show him in the crowd at the show, be like, look, look, he's here to see the show. It's Bad Bunny. They would tweet that out, but they tweeted out that he was there hours before the show yeah. happened. I came in waiting, like, all right, so Bad Bunny is gonna show up. We got like later into that rumble because he was way later in there than I thought he was. It was back loaded because you and i were texting throughout that entire thing you're like yo why is this so bad like the beginning of the men's match terrible it was really bad the royal rumble um, is my favorite event of the year the royal rumble match is always a blast and this this meant the women's rumble wasn't great either um most mostly the the tail end of that match sucked but the men's rumble was just awful all the way through like they do not have that many that many guys that people care about and you could tell um most of that match sucked and the ending also sucked but bad bunny was fun but there was two of them. I can't remember what the name was. Owen, was it Owen? Otis. Oh, Otis. Otis and Otis and his other friend. Chad Gable. They were. Yeah. Those guys are great. Yeah. They're, Otis they're, and Chad, they're carrying they Monday Night Raw uh, on a on a, on a weekly basis right now. They're doing with their rivals right now. They're doing like different skill tests, I guess, for lack of a better term, every week. So like one week they had a spelling test. Um, I think I don't remember what the last one they did was, but it's like a mix of physical and mental challenges. And usually something like that with lesser people would be absolute death to watch on for 15 minutes on a wrestling show, but they're making it enjoyable. Yeah. I mean, Chad just went into the ring. he like dove into the ring and he's like, guys, guys, you're going all about it the wrong way. I got a plan. I got a plan. Uh, and then Otis just showed up. So that was a delight. The, the, Otis those is just delight probably... because you look at him and you just laugh at him by looking at him. Not like in a mean way. It's just like there is a man shaped this way. And I know he could kick my ass, but it's also hilarious that he exists. Yeah. Anyways, Chad and Otis were the highlights, if you ask me. They, they were fun when we saw them. But that's enough wrestling talk. But that was more um, wrestling than I was going to get into. Yeah, I know. 
Um, I'm trying to think. Was there anything else? I mean, I could, I started watching Legend of Korra again. I texted because we were both bored one night, and so I started rewatching Legend of Korra since I don't have an obligation to anyone to watch that. Whereas I have like three obligations for Avatar, including me. We we, but we're still not. We still yes, haven't gotten. But that. we still haven't planned that. Yeah. Um, we didn't talk about the Nintendo Direct, but that was a thing that happened. There's a couple. There's a couple fun stories from that. Um, sorry to get back into video games for a minute, but yeah, so sorry. There were three main stories that, at least in terms of announcements, um, new Mario Strikers game. I've never played any of the other ones, but that's a beloved series, particularly uh, the GameCube one. Um, I'll pick that up when it comes out. I'm worried it'll be like the other Mario Sports Switch games, where it's pretty bare bones. But it's saved by good on my multiplayer. I imagine that's going to be the same story here. But I'll play it. Um, Mario Kart 8 DLC that is going to be $25. Or you can get it on the Switch Online Expansion Pass. Which you have feelings about. And I do too. I called this when we did our episode. Oh no, I, I knew I knew as well. It wasn't going to be a one-off. Yeah. Like The problem is they're actually making it a better value. By, the, by every time they do this. They are making it a better value. And they're going to make people stick with it. It's not $50 more better value, but yeah, they're adding more to it. Anyway, Mario Kart 8 is going to be eight years old as a game this year. Obviously, the deluxe version came out when the Switch came out, so it's only five years old now. Um, But we saw rumors, I think, near the end of last year about Mario Kart 9 potentially finally happening. And Nintendo quelled those rumors by saying, we're going to finally do paid DLC for this eight-year-old game, and we're going to be supporting it for the next two years. They said till the end of 2023. So it'll be a full decade at least before we get another Mario Kart game between main entries. I'm not counting the mobile game or the home circuit thing. They're adding 48 tracks, which is a lot. Like, I think that's pretty much double the current track count of this already massive game. Uh, so, like, it's cool that we have that much, but it's also a lot of old tracks, which aren't necessarily as exciting. I would have liked for them to do new stuff, new characters as well for paid DLC. I mean, it's not what I wanted. I might end up getting it. I don't know yet. I, like, I, I love Mario Kart every time I go back to it, but it's always one of those games that I love. And then once I play through all the courses, then I'm, I don't need to play it again for like six months. And that'll happen here, but I guess I'll have twice as many courses to play through, which should be fun, but it's not certainly not exciting, especially for someone like me who desperately wants a new entry. If you could see my face right now, I'm doing the Stephen A. Very Bad Day face. Like, I will play this. I will buy it, and I will play the tracks because I love Mario Kart. I've gotten every, like, trophy I could in Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. I went through all the CCs. I've played those maps so many times. So to play something new, I'm all for. But I would have liked Mario Kart 9. That's what I would have wanted. You're doing the amount of maps that is in a Mario Kart game because Mario Kart 8 Deluxe has 48 maps. You know what also has 48 maps? Mario Kart 9, but too bad you didn't do that and you just put it as DLC for Mario Kart 8. I'll play it. I'll buy it. I'm a Nintendo shill. I'm not really, but uh, I criticize Nintendo a lot, but I'll but I'll play Mario Kart like 100%. I will buy that and go. Have you listed two or three? You're talking about Switch Sports, right? Well, I was going to reveal it, but yes, that's what, I, that's what I'm talking about. See, I thought we were doing the Oscars thing where you're going to end with Kirby, but you ended with Switch Sports. Okay, my bad. Keep going. Kirby, I, again, I think I told you before we recorded, I, I was driving here and uh, the, the direct had already started, so I tuned in like most of the way through the Kirby thing. We can talk, we can talk about that in a minute. Uh, but the big story that excited me the most, more than 15 years later, we are finally getting a sequel to, well, I guess Wii Sports Resort is technically a sequel to Wii Sports, but we are getting another entry in that series, and it's got the cumbersome name of Nintendo Switch Sports. 
but I am beyond excited for this. It's out in just a couple months. I think April 29th was the date. I'm really looking forward to it. I, it doesn't look like you're playing as me, so it looks like there's like actual in-game avatars now, which is not as charming to me necessarily. They still use Miis on the Switch. You can still do it, so I kind of would rather have Miis in there. Hopefully that's an option. I bet it won't be. But yeah, you get a mix of old and new sports. I think you get tennis and bowling back at launch, and then you're supposed to get golf a few months down the line. Uh, and then the new sports are badminton, volleyball, and another one that I saw the name and had no idea what it was. Chumbra? Yeah, what is that? Uh, it's like kendo fighting. Oh, okay. So it's kind of like, is it, would it be like the sword fighting in Wii Sports Resort? Yeah, so the way like they explained it was uh, like you have your swords and you're trying to knock them off of the platform. Mm. So, okay. yeah. What I'm actually excited about is that they're all, they're shipping the strap with the game, but the leg strap that you got with, with Ring Fit Adventure, which I got a couple years ago, um, that's actually getting use here. So it's using the Joy-Con in interesting ways. It's obviously more evolved than just the pointer of the Wii Remote and the uh, the swinging of the Wii Remote. They're using the tech baked into the Joy-Con in more interesting ways now. So I think the leg strap is going to be used for the soccer game in it, which is fun. Um, I'm glad that they're doing interest just do interesting things with your with your controllers that's something nintendo has always liked to do sometimes with better results than others but i think the joy con are in general they're kind of cool with how much you can actually do with them and i'm glad to see more of that here well i hope that you have a good time playing the game because i will not be able to sad yeah you're on a switch light you can't even like do the tabletop mode with the kickstand you don't have that nope so I will not be playing Switch Sports, which sucks because I am also excited for that. I will take over your Twitch for like a whole week with uh, Nintendo Switch Sports streams. I'll also probably stream Wii Sports on there as well because I got my Wii U to work with my capture card. So Wii Sports streams probably coming soon. Uh, like I said before, if you could see my face, it's the very bad day, Stephen A. Smith. I, I'm as excited. This one, I am it's not because they announced something you d- you didn't like. It's just the fact yeah. that you can't you can't play the thing that you want to play, play it. Exactly, which has been a common thing with Switch, but, you know, whatever. Um, but Kirby, I'll talk about this one since I saw the whole thing. Oh, I am winding up my fist right now because this is looking to be a knockout game. I cannot wait. March 23rd, 25th, I think, is the release date. Um, this game is going to be awesome. It is just looking like a th- Mario 3D world, um, but for Kirby... The fact that I can just swallow a vending machine and then shoot cans at people, I'm already sold with that. You can do a big suck suck on a car and become a Kirby car. You can become Carby. Did you see that? Oh, a fucking block for that. <laughs> okay, I can't take care oh of that. I think, I think Ramon in our Discord said that first. Uh, Ramon, pull a block Ramon, for that. I don't know if I saw that. <laughs> Carby. But Kirby's just looking like it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I have loved Kirby games in the past, and so I'm excited to see that. This one is doing a 3D world-like thing where you can just go and you can suck people uh, up. Um, <laughs> you, can, <laughs> you can do uh, <laughs> uh You can suck like vending machines or cars. There was like a ring that blows air out. It's just looking like it's going to be a lot of fun. And the creativity that Nintendo brings with certain games. Looking at you, Pokemon, get off. But Kirby, it's just around the corner. It's next month. I'm excited for that one. Yeah, it's busy, busy few months for games, um, at least in terms of games I'm interested in. We've got Kirby next month. We've got Lego Star Wars in April. We've got Nintendo Switch Sports in April. Um, the new MLB The Show will be on Game Pass in April. We're hoping to do some streams of that because everything is content. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, exactly. it's, a, it's a busy next couple months. Yeah, uh, for me, it's already begun to be busy because Sifu came out, Dying Light 2 came out, Wonderlands comes out next month, Kirby comes out next month, um, Lego Star Wars comes out in April, MLB The Show comes out in April. I have a very busy and expensive uh, first half of the year, which is why I have not purchased any games yet because I'm like, I shouldn't, I can't justify this yet. But yeah, so I, <sighs> Sifu is cheaper. I know it'll run better, but I really want to play Dying Light. So that's my current dilemma. So maybe by next episode, I will have made a decision and I'll let you guys know. Yeah. So back to movies. We had a, a gaming detour because we forgot to cover that gaming story earlier. So yesterday we got the nominations for this year's Academy Awards. I believe the 94th annual Academy Awards. Uh, we got all the Oscar nominations and it's okay. I think not, not as terrible as certain uh, crops of nominees that I've seen. I don't know how you feel. You haven't seen as many of these of these nominees as I have, I don't think. Where the fuck is Pig? Pig. Come on, guys. Listen, I don't expect much from the Oscars. I don't value award shows pretty much. Like, I'll watch them and I'll say, oh, this one, whatever. Who cares? Like what you like, hate what you hate, move on from the things that you can't change, whatever. Um, but where was Pig? Pig was legitimately one of the best movies of last year. Uh, drive my car more like ride my pig because pig should have gotten all the oscars okay are you kidding me nicholas cage gives a great performance in that movie the cinematography is great in that film it's a tight 90 something minutes maybe it's like 100 minutes um but anyways it flies by it tells a beautiful story and pig should have been somewhere there somewhere best screenplay best adapted screenplay i don't care but it should have been nominated for something. And the fact that Pig was left completely out of the Oscars really just frustrates me. And I'm being genuinely serious. Also, no love for In the Heights, but I didn't expect anything for that. Well, uh, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. You shouldn't have expected anything from Pig because Pig had no traction in any other award shows. The Oscars, you can always tell generally because you have all the other award shows that happened before that. So you you have a general idea of everything that's going to be nominated. There will be a few surprises in there, a few surprise omissions, but you generally have a good idea. And I did I never expected anything for Pig because, I mean, Nicolas Cage is, gives a fantastic performance, but it's also not a performance that the Oscars will necessarily care about. And they didn't, and they didn't really care about anything in the rest of the movie. The movie never got that level of buzz from the right people to actually make enough waves. I think it also probably comes down to the fact that compared to all these other movies that had their usual late year awards pushes, Pig was in the middle of the year. Those members of the Academy that rushed to watch everything in January and February so they can vote, they probably didn't see it. And that's just kind of how it is. So disappointing. So, so disappointing. But I also like... I also, I understand how it works, and I'm sure them not seeing it as part of it, I'm sure it's just not something that was on people's radar as something that was the best of the year. I'm sure it probably got a few votes from a few people in the Academy in some places, but, you know, I never, again, I'm not mad because I never expect anything different. There's only, like, one omission that I'm surprised about and kind of mad about, which is that Alana Haim didn't get a Best Actress nomination. It was funny because, like, for months, I've been hearing it's a two-way race for Best Actress between Alana, Alana Haim and Lady Gaga, and neither of them got nominated ultimately at the Oscars, which I was surprised about. I would have thought at least one of them, but no, neither of them. And Alana gave one of my favorite performances of the last year, so that bummed me out a little bit. I almost never liked the, the crop of, of actors in all the acting categories. Like I could find performances that I preferred in a bunch of other movies. Uh, sure, 
But on the bright side, Jesse Plemons did get nominated this year, so good for him. Yeah, like I love Jesse Plemons here. I also love his performances in other movies more than I loved him in Power of the Dog because he wasn't in a ton of Power of the Dog, and also compared to pretty much all the other actors in there, he didn't make as much of an impression. How is that profitable for Frito Lay? <laughs> but yeah, when I gave my rant earlier, I said that I don't care about the Oscars, and it's true because I saw the nominations. I woke up, saw the nominations, then went back to sleep, and I have legitimately forgotten all of them, except for the fact that the two couples got nominated the same year, Javier Bardem and Penelope Cruz, and Jesse Plemons, and Kirsten Dunst. And the fact that Drive My Car, I'm kidding, Drive My Car is probably a wonderful film. I'm just, I, It's just the one I'm picking on the most right now. Yeah, of, of, of the movies in that, uh, that Best Picture crop, there are a few that you probably could or should pick on before you pick on Drive My Car. Yeah, licorice pizza, what the fuck? Promoting pedophilia? Come on. And racism, come on. I haven't seen the movie, I can't speak. There were a few, I guess we'll talk about the best picture crop, there were a few here that surprised me. The one that actually surprised me, in a positive way, was CODA. I didn't feel any awards buzz for CODA, but it got a handful of nominations. It got best picture, I think he got best supporting actor nomination for The Father. So it had, it had a few nominations. I was very surprised that it actually got a Best Picture nomination because I wasn't expecting anything to come its way. So that surprised me in a good way. In a kind of whatever way, King Richard actually getting a Best Picture nomination surprised me. I figured it would just be Will Smith and maybe uh, the actress who played Venus. I can't remember her name now. But yeah, I figured it would just be those couple acting nominations. But it got a Best Picture nomination as well. So good for it. I enjoyed that movie, but I don't think it was... It certainly wasn't in my 10 favorite movies of the year. It was in my top two. <laughs> i'm so sorry for that i just it was so perfect anyways continue um drive my car is surprising you know it feels like they're more i don't know what changed but it feels like they're definitely paying more attention to the best foreign films of of each year now because you know obviously parasite swept most of the major categories a couple years ago um last year we had uh thomas venterberg nominated for directing for another round um, the year before Parasite, I think Cold War, we had the director of that nominated for Best Director. Um, so you get you're getting more attention in the major categories for these foreign films. And Drive My Car was definitely the big acclaimed foreign film of the year. I haven't been able to see it because it's not playing anywhere near me. Hopefully, hopefully it plays closer to me more at more points than just the usual AMC Best Picture Showcase because I don't want to pay to go see a bunch of those movies all in one day just to see Drive My Car because that's the only movie that will play at the Best Picture Showcase that I haven't seen, because the other nominee, which I have not seen, which I will not see, is Don't Look Up, and because that's on Netflix, it's not going to play at the Best Picture Showcase at AMC. So, yeah, I'm hoping I can see Drive My Car by itself. It's a long one. It's three hours, but I've heard nothing but great things, so I'm looking forward to finally seeing that. Nightmare Alley actually surprised me a little bit for a Best Picture nominee. I really like Nightmare Alley, but I didn't feel much awards buzz for it, so I was kind of pleasantly surprised that it got a Best Picture nomination. It was in my top 10 of the year. Uh, the other ones, all the other nominees I expected. Belfast was like the big Oscar bait movie. I liked it a lot and felt like it had a lot of heart, but it is total Oscar bait, um, and the nominations have reflected that. Uh, Don't Look Up, I already mentioned I expected to get it to get nominations, so that didn't surprise me. Uh, Dune, it seemed like it was trending that direction, but it still feels strange to me that a movie like that gets all this Oscar attention. It was, I think, the number two in terms of total nominees this year. Um, so good for Dune. I wish I liked that movie more, but I'm I'm happy. I wish for Denny it. got a nomination. Yeah, but you know you have to have Kenneth Branagh in there. <sighs> yeah, again, I like Belfast, but that movie didn't do anything particularly special that would warrant all these nominations. Personally, yeah, I, I was just because so many people and like people's opinions don't matter. 
but because there was a lot of the talk about like people liking the directing of Dune, and you know whether you like it or not, people genuinely enjoyed that. And again, people don't matter, but that was surprising to see that Denny got nominated for best picture. Well, you know, I don't know if he's a producer on it, but Dune got nominated for best picture, but he didn't get a directing nom, which is kind of weird. But whatever. Yeah, the other uh, the other best picture nominees are ones I expected. Licorice Pizza is probably my favorite movie this entire crop. I expected it to get nominate, nominated. I don't expect it to win. I think probably the top two favorites to actually win the whole damn thing are West Side Story and Power of the Dog. Both movies I gave the patented 3.5 to. Um, I don't feel particularly passionate about either of those movies. I think Power of the Dog has the best chance of winning Best Picture, though. Interesting. You don't think they do the whole West Side Story wins and then uh, Ariana DeBose wins for Anita? And they're just like, all right, West Side Story, it's legacy. It's a legacy film. I think she probably wins. I don't. I mean, I think, again, I said it probably has the second best chance of winning Best Picture. I honestly see like the top four in terms of, to me, best chance of actually winning are... Uh, Power of the Dog, West Side Story, Belfast, and Don't Look Up. Probably the four favorites, I would say. Maybe Drive My Car gets some late momentum like Parasite did. The rest of those movies I don't see actually having a, a real chance. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, but as far as um, the acting nominations, I haven't Yeah, I haven't seen any of the nominations in the Best Actress category. I have not seen The Eyes of Tammy Faye. I have not seen The Lost Daughter, although I do want to. I have not seen Parallel Mothers, which I also want to see. I have not and probably will not seen uh, Being the Ricardos because I can tell that movie is going to annoy me. And I also have not seen Spencer, which I'm not sure if I want to see or not. But I've heard Kristen Stewart's great in that. And she seems like she probably has the best chance. I don't know if she swept all the other awards, but it seems like she has the best chance. It's another boring British biopic. I don't care about British royalty. So that's already the first ding. And so that's a big ding for me. But then being a biopic i'm like eh. you know some of them are good but this one just did not look like anything interesting for me personally if you loved it cool that's fine i just i'm not gonna spend my time on it and that's that i'm with you best actor we have the expected will smith's andrew garfield bandit cumberbatch now denzel washington i thought had a good chance and he did end up getting nominated the one that surprised me was javier bardem for being the ricardos because pretty much nicole Kidman was the only person i really heard about getting like significant buzz. I, I could be wrong and just wasn't seeing all the nominations Bardem was getting. But yeah, that one kind of surprised me a little bit. I don't know who I would have thought would have been swapped in in his place. But yeah, that's our crop. I think he's he's probably the least likely to win. I think um, any of the first three I mentioned have a good chance. Denzel has like an outside mm. shot, I would say. Gotcha. So you think if Will loses, he just turns the camera and says, I lost the last two. <laughs> Again? Are we doing this again? Again, yeah, I made a second joke. Yeah, yeah, I did. I did. I'll pull a block for that one. But, I mean, you got to admit, both both of them were good this time, okay? Were they? Are we sure? We'll let the people decide if they were both good. Yeah, let, let us know. Yeah, so I don't know. I th- as terms of my personal preference of those performances, I would go with Cumberbatch or Will Smith. Andrew Garfield was good, but that movie annoyed me so much that I... I don't like his performance as much because I didn't like the movie around him. He did good for what he was given and what the movie was, but not my thing. Not my tempo. I always think it's funny when an animated or an, an international film gets nominated for Best Picture because those categories, you it kind of tips away what's going to win the, the uh, Best International or Animated Feature. Anyway, uh, Drive My Car is probably going to win the Best International Feature Award. 
I mean, while you're talking about best animated or foreign, best animated, who do you think it goes to? You think it goes to Encanto or Mitchells versus the Machines? I think Encanto or Luca, probably, actually. But Luca was like mid. Yeah, but I don't know. Like, I don't feel I don't feel a Spider-Verse type groundswell for Mitchells versus the Machines this award season. I don't feel that happening. I feel like Encanto is the favorite. Although I've heard a lot about Flea. That's another nominee. Yeah, I've been hearing about that one, too. I... I'm torn on which one I want to win. I kind of want Mitchells vs. the Machines to win, but then at the same time, I don't want to disappoint my people, so I might say Encanto because they're both really good. Yeah. I, I don't I don't know. Do you that, think that's Ryan a tough... the Last Dragon has any shot? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> that That's Oscar's diversity vote right there. Yeah, I think any of the... Uh, it's it's going to be, I think, uh, probably Encanto. I think that one will win. Yeah, of of the three of those nominees I saw, they all got a 3.5 from me, of course. Wow. You know how it'd be. For whatever reason, the I've talked about before, the modern the modern crop of animated movies just doesn't quite do it for me. I don't love them. I don't quite love them, and I wish I did. So the acting categories, the supporting actor, uh, supporting actor is a pretty good a pretty good crew. We have Kieran Hines, who was my favorite part of Belfast. Uh, we have. Uh, Troy Kotzer, who I believe was the dad in uh, Coda. I'm guessing that was the dad, not the brother. Yes, that's the dad. Okay. Yeah, Jesse Plemons and Cody Smith-McPhee, two nominations for Power of the Dog. If I had to guess, a personal preference, I think Cody Smith-McPhee gives the best performance of anyone here. But I think it's Jesse Plemons or Kieran Hines in terms of who's actually going to win it. Uh, the other nominee is J.K. Simmons for being the Ricardos, which he, he could win. Again, I don't know if like being the Ricardos is definitely an Academy-type movie. Um, but I don't know if it's one of those movies like, you know, you can name any movie that they nominate for everything and then they don't award anything. I feel like this could be that. Um, they didn't nominate for Best Picture, but still. And the Supporting Actress category, I think it's probably Ari- Ariana DeBose's to lose. I still, I don't, I'll look at these nominees here, but she definitely seems like the favorite. Kirsten Dunst could win for Power of the Dog. Um, she was great. Anjanou Ellis, that was the name of the actress who played Venus and King Richard. She was great. I don't see her winning. Um, Judy Dench in Belfast. Yes, she could win. And Jesse Buckley in The Lost Daughter, which again, I haven't seen. I've heard Olivia Coleman is like the standout in that movie. Um, I didn't even know Jesse Buckley was in it, but Jesse Buckley is great in everything I see her in. Would you say Olivia Coleman is the favorite of that movie? Pull a fucking block. <laughs> I'm on fire tonight, guys. I, I had to go, I had I had to go right up to the three. microphone for that. I have gone three for three tonight with the references with the Oscars, guys. I'm on fire. So anyway, um, your screenplay nominees are pretty much your Best Picture nominees. I don't think there's anything. There might be one or two in screenplay that aren't Best Picture nominees. I can actually check that. Lost Daughter is not a Best Picture nominee, I don't think. And The Worst Person in the World, which is another international feature. I suppose that could have a chance to win in that category, but I don't see it happening. Those are your screenplay nominees that aren't Best Picture nominees. I don't know how that's going to go. I always feel like the screenplay and the picture winners aren't usually the same. I am not sure about that. I should probably go back and check that before I say something on the podcast, but it's too late for that now. I don't know what's going to happen there, and I get less interested in the screenplay winners by the year because usually they wore it to a movie that I don't think deserves it, but that's just the Academy for you. The Oscars are just that kind of award show that doesn't do what you want them to do almost any of the time. So I think instead of the Oscars, we could use a new type of award show. What do you think? I think that might be good. I think I know how to fix the Oscars. I think. Oh, a white man coming in here <laughs> trying to fix the Oscars. Okay, I see how this is. We're going from white to white. No change at all. I think we get rid of the Oscars. We do the Nick Academy Awards. What do you think? I would have gone with the Nuckies, but sure. The Nuckies? <laughs> <laughs> the Nuckies? I decided um, that I 
was going to come up with some categories that I thought would be fun to give awards for on our podcast. This is the first time I've ever done anything like this, so it could be terrible, but these are the categories that I came up with. And Manny, I will have you guessing on these to see if you could predict the winner before I name the nominees. Okay, let me go open up your letterboxed. Yep, let me go to your letterboxed. I'll wait for you to open your letterbox. Just open just open by release date for 2021. Yep. yep. Okay, let me... Well, all right. Um, hold on. OBS says encoding overloaded. Consider t- t- turning down video settings or using a faster encoding preset. Am I in danger here? Uh, maybe. You, you want to stop, stop it and then start, start it back, back up? Okay. Um, stopping. So I'll save what I had there just in case. All right. Yes. Okay. So... The first award, are you ready? Yes. Okay, so the first award we've got is the Old Timer Award for the movie your grandparents wouldn't stop raving about. What would you think would win the Old Timer Award? Ooh, that's a good question. That's a good question. I'm going to go with, um, let's see, what's one that they would not shut up about? For the record, I have a set of nominees for all these categories, and then I will name the winner. I'm going to... Little Things was technically this year, correct? It was 2021. I think it was in the last awards cycle, but I do reference that movie later here. My initial guess is The Little Things, but I think I'm going to go with The Tragedy of Macbeth. So neither of those were in the uh, list of nominees that I came up with here. So the nominees I came up with, now this this is based on just my predictions on demographics, the audiences in the theater for the movie for these movies when I saw them. Or just, you know, general general vibes that I get from the movies. So the nominees that I came up with are The French Dispatch. I was in a, a theater full of entirely old people when I saw that movie. Um, House mm-hmm. of Gucci, which I feel like has an audience that skews older. It's a biopic type movie. Um, it's based on a true story. Things like that, even though it's a fairly, fairly recent story in terms of uh, biopic stuff. The Last Duel, another one that, you know, the millennials didn't go see. So it's got to be all the old people. And Gotcha. In my, in my screening, it was all old people. West Side Story, which is, you know, a remake yeah. of a 60-year-old movie. In my screening, it was mostly moms, like in their 40s and 50s, including my mother, who was with me. So that's one that I think skews old. But the one I went with, again, based on the Academy and based on the people in the, the screening I was at, the winner is going to be Belfast. Yeah, that's what I thought you were going to go with. I, I, I was like, is he going to go Belfast or is he going to go with something else? But... Yeah, Belfast makes sense. It's a specific story about growing up in Ireland during troubling times, but it's also a story about growing up in the 60s. Back when everything was good. Back when we were in war-torn Ireland, the good old days. The good old days, baby. So the the winner of the first annual Old Timer Award goes to Kenneth Branagh's Belfast. That's going to be the most prestigious award that he takes home this year. So here we Mm, go. The next one, the Needle Drop Award for the best use of a song in a movie. Ooh. All right, I'm going to name five nominees. I only have okay. three nominees here, actually. I couldn't come up with that. Okay. Many. Three nominees. Oh, fuck. I know what it is. Is it Malignant? What are your other guesses? Malignant. I'll go Licorice Pizza. And then I'm going to go with... Um, I didn't see it, but I'm going to say... I'll say Matrix. Okay. Um, the Matrix Needle Drop actually isn't that great. It was a not-so-great remake of the original Rage Against the Machine song, so that did not make gotcha. the list. I did have Life on Mars in uh, Licorice Pizza. It's a great sequence where that song gets played. I also had a definitely good one, not a bad one, totally not, Zombie in Army of the Dead. 
They oh, used a song called okay, Zombie yeah. in the zombie movie. But the winner is, mm-hmm. of course, Where Is My Mind and Malignant? Because how could it not be? I, how could it not be? How could it That one, when I was looking through, like, ooh, needle drops, I saw Malignant. I'm like, oh, that is the obvious answer. That needle drop is iconic. The fact that we see so many videos so many times on our <laughs> Twitter, because I'll see, like, you liked it or, like, it was something from you saw. Um, that needle drop where that happens. Oh, my God. It's cinema. It's perfect. Fantastic. That, that is easily the best needle drop of the year. Oh, I agree. So we're going to move on to the next one. It's the Oh Yeah, That Movie Award for the movie you totally forgot came out this year. So I've got five nominees here. First off, we've got Don't Breathe 2, uh, the sequel to Don't Breathe, believe it or not, that I don't believe a single person actually saw this year. I didn't hear a single thing about it. It came and it went. Uh, we also have Those Who Wish Me Dead, the Angelina Jolie firefighter movie that was on HBO Max, I think, in May. Um, I saw this movie. I think Cody and Christian of The Wayers also saw this movie. And probably moms and dads everywhere saw this movie. But I haven't heard any, a single thing about this movie since it came out. Uh, we also have The King's Man, which for a series that started off with a great deal of potential, it has sputtered more and more with each entry since then. The King's Man, I think, made maybe $10 million at the box office in its opening five-day weekend uh, up against The Matrix uh, Sing 2, Licorice Pizza, and the second weekend of Spider-Man No Way Home, which was the big, the biggie. Yeah, no one saw The King's Man, and I don't think they missed a whole lot by not seeing it. So it's really coming down to these last two. The final nominee before I named the winner, Reminiscence. Do you remember that movie? No. That was the Hugh Jackman, Rebecca Ferguson, HBO Max movie. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Which yeah, I don't, I yeah, I only saw a trailer for. I think her friend Kat watched it a couple weeks ago on a whim, and she might be the only person I've ever seen talk about this movie. But the winner, I believe this was released only in theaters, and I think it might be available on Hulu right now. It was an early release uh, in 2021, I believe, before cinema had been saved by a couple movies that I'm going to get to later. You're talking about Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, right? No, not that one. I am talking about the Tom Holland Daisy Ridley masterpiece. Chaos Walking wins the first Chaos Oh Yeah, Walking. That Movie Award. Yeah. You would think with two, you know, they're in big franchises. Tom Holland, I would I would say, is a star at this point. Daisy Ridley should be a star. You know, she was in three of the biggest movies of the last decade in a beloved series, even though her character had, had some mixed reactions. Those two together with Doug Lyman, who is a fairly reliable director, you could see how on paper this could be a success. And I don't think a single person saw this movie. I had so. to go so far down in the 2021 list on Letterboxd to see that movie that I'm like, yeah, that's perfect, because I forgot all about this movie. In terms of, like, a splash you would expect a movie to make, it made so much less than that. But moving on to the next award. It's time for the Discourse Award, the movie that generated the most oh. online debate and outrage in, in 2021. The Matrix Resurrections. I'm not even going to say it's the Matrix Resurrections. That's not the one I went with. Did you go with Spider-Man? Well, why don't you let me list the nominees there, buddy boy? All right. So The Matrix of the Directions, I did list. I saw, I figured there would be some controversy about the movie. I saw most of it in our YouTube live chat, which is now infamous for that one night on on the Wanger show. You had to go mad with power with your mod powers that I now also possess to get rid of some horrible toxic people as far as The Matrix of the Resurrections goes. But otherwise, I didn't see that much. We also have Licorice Pizza, which for two, three months now has had the exact same points made about it by people. 
uh, they made the points before seeing the movie and the same same points after seeing the movie, which I personally don't think hold that much water. I know some people feel differently. You're allowed to feel that way. But the point is, I wanted to see this movie so badly, and the month of discourse before I could see it, because it was only playing in New York and LA, was absolute hell. I was hating seeing everything about this movie. And it was the same argument again and again and again. It was a horrible round of discourse, and it's still kind of going on. So that that was a nominee. We also have technically not, I guess it's, it is a 2021 movie. We have Zack Snyder's Justice League. Obviously, we have like at least five years of discourse about the Justice League movie as a whole. And we finally got to this point. And I think more than anything, people were just kind of surprised that it was, you know, generally well received. I was surprised that I liked it. But the whole five plus years leading up to that movie, oh boy. Oof, that was terrible. We have Don't Look Up, which... <laughs> um, I was surprised at the reception to this movie because a lot of normies, I would say, and I don't mean that as a demeaning term, but a lot of people who aren't as into the movie space seem to really like this movie. And a lot of people that I trust in the movie space, some critics, uh, a lot of critics liked it, but some critics did not like it, and some people I follow did not like it. But we had a bunch of heated debate about Don't Look Up, and uh, it was not fun. It was not fun seeing Adam McKay come out and say that uh, if you didn't like the movie that you actually supported climate change. That was fun. But that's not the winner. Because the winner, after I would say six plus months of discourse, pretty much since uh, Nomadland won Best Picture at the Oscars, uh, Marvel's Eternals is going to win the discourse award for 2021. Because oh my god, because of the stupid trailer, the trailer really—that's what. Not just the overplayed trailer, but the discourse I saw between people. I saw Marvel Defenders, and I like Marvel stuff. I don't, again, I don't mean Marvel Defenders to be demeaning, but people defending Eternals, saying that because they had a Best Director winner coming onto their movie, that it was going to be a masterpiece months before it came out, that it was going to be by far the most cinematic Marvel experience that had ever happened, that it was going to push the boundaries of cinematography and everything else. And I had to see that for months and months and months on end. Again, before the movie came out, making me tired of the movie well before it came out. The trailer obviously didn't help that. But all of that, I feel like this was the longest sustained discourse of the year. Because in terms of what actually happened during the year, Zack Snyder's Justice League petered out in March because that's when it came out. Eternals I had to hear about for almost the entire year. And on a personal level, because these are my awards, that had the most discourse, at least on my Twitter timeline. And I never want to hear about this movie again because of how awful that cycle was. Which is so interesting because for me, that was Spider-Man. And Spider-Man was like two years of yeah. the same thing. Yeah, again, this is this is personal again. perspective on the stuff that I... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because for me, Spider-Man would have taken that award. Jesus Christ. I had a whole rant about that. Anyway. Uh... So here we go. This is the only award he knew about before we started. We have the Death of Cinema Award, which is the movie made to specifically piss me off the most. We've got five nominees here. So first off... Can I, can I, can I name them? Can I see if I can you name You might be them? able to name all five. To piss you off, correct? Mm-hmm. All right. I'm going to go Tick, Tick, Boom. That's one. Space Jam, A New Legacy. That's another. That's two. I'm going to go... Uh, I'll say Dear Evan Hansen. Yep. Okay. Uh, two more? Two more. If it helps, um, these are two that I hated so much I just didn't see them. That you didn't see... Don't Look Up. Mm-hmm. And then... Is it being the Ricardos? No, uh, that I mean that movie just kind of like, yeah, it like it doesn't piss me off. It annoys me. I would say is is closer to it. Um, though I originally had Don't Look Up as my winner, but I think I'm going to go with instead of Don't Look Up as the winner because it represents everything I hate about movies, and it also has people trying to pass it off as being original. We have Free Guy that's going to win the first Death of Cinema oh, award. Okay. Because I did not bother seeing that movie. I was never interested in it. And then I had people trying to tell me that it was original. 
And uh, that was that was enough for me. Every scene that I've seen, I've seen a few scenes on Twitter. It's just been everything I hate about movies. And I'm amazed at how many people say that they like the movie. I can't, you know, I've, I haven't seen it, so I can't definitively speak on it. But everything I heard about that movie sounds like everything I hate about movies. So that's going to win the first Death of Cinema Award for me. Yeah, Dear Evan Hansen was probably the one on this list that pissed me off the least. Mostly because yeah, I know it, it's, it felt so absurd that I was like never approaching it as like it it offends me or pisses me off. It was just like I can't believe this is a thing, and I almost laughed at it in some yeah. ways. So we have next up, we have the Leto Award for the most inexplicably acclaimed acting performance of the year, and we have two nominees. The first nominee, Jared Leto, Jared Leto in House of Gucci, which is not the winner because I can at least see. I don't think it's a good performance. But I can at least see that he was trying something. He was doing something. He was playing a character. You know, he was getting in character, even though the way he does that is stupid, I think. He was at least doing something. He was playing a character. But the winner is going to be Jared Leto in The Little Things, because that is such <laughs> a nothing pedestrian performance. And it got Golden Globe nominations. I think it got nominations at a couple other award shows. And I just, like, it was the most nothing performance I've ever seen. It was every whack job, serial killer type character I've ever seen in the movie. And it got buzz and i could not fathom that performance getting buzz so the first leto award is going to go to jared leto believe it or not i almost thought you were gonna go with uh lebron james and space jam but <laughs> no because yeah, like again that one works again i know what that i knew what that movie was gonna be i knew he was gonna do what yeah. you know what worked for that movie or i guess didn't work mm. if you ask me but okay we have a few more here we have next the cinema saver award the movie that helped save movie theaters the most this year oh oh the godzilla versus kong well, let me get to it. First, we have F9, The Fast Saga. It was in the middle okay. of the summer. You had the whole campaign of the movies. They were trying to get people back into theaters. It did very well. We have No Time to Die, which also did very well. Mostly, uh, more than, I think, the other movies on this list, other than uh, Spider-Man, which is another nominee, of course. No Time to Die did, mm-hmm. did great globally. It did really well here, but it also did great globally for the global box office. Um, so Spider-Man No Way Home obviously made nearly $2 billion. It might be over $2 billion by now. I don't know. I haven't checked the box office in a while. Obviously, that was the biggest movie of the year, and it was one of the biggest movies in the last few years. So that's obviously important. We have Venom Let There Be Carnage, which had a huge opening weekend uh, at a point where, mo- where studios were delaying all their movies all of a sudden because uh, cases were ticking back up in the fall. But Venom came out, I think it made $90 million, and I think it stopped the delays for a while. It was that and No Time to Die coming out, uh, I think, a week apart. I think they helped prevent a lot of further delays because pe- they showed that people will still go see movies even if cases are rising, which Spider-Man sealed the deal on, I think. But of course, the winner is Godzilla vs. Kong. It was the first proper big movie to bring people back into theaters at the end of March. I saw it the day that I got vaccinated. This was the point where people were starting to get vaccinated. Most adults had been, I think, you know, a good portion of the adults had been at this point, and it was only go- going to increase from there. So it was the perfect time. It was the perfect movie. It was a big, dumb blockbuster that you could watch at home or you could finally return to theaters. It was my, f- my first movie back in theaters. And it was a magical experience. And it saved cinema, which is why it, sa- it wins the Cinema Saver Award. Godzilla vs. Kong is fantastic. It's cinema. Wait, we, we we did almost record a commentary for that one, but then we had an idea and we're like, ooh, let's, let's, let's wait on that one. We have two more awards here. We have the In the Heights Award, the movie that I am most likely to watch 14 times. <laughs> Let's go, baby. So one of the nominations is In the Heights because I've just already seen it three times and I find it to be very watchable. I don't know if I'll, it's not going to win this this award because I don't think I'll get to that point. But I could see, no. I could see myself watching it several more times in my life. 
So I'm going to give it a nomination. We also have No Time to Die, which I've already seen twice. I think I said I will see it more than any other movie from this year, and I think there's a good chance of that. But in terms of the movie I want to watch most again and again, it's not quite that. Um, we also have The Matrix Resurrections, which is another movie that I've already watched twice. I, I loved it both times. I love that series a lot, so I'm probably going to watch those movies, I would say, every year or so. And I'll watch Matrix Resurrections with the other three. Uh, we have Godzilla vs. Kong again, another movie that I saw twice. Um, it's just such a blast to watch that I'm going to watch that movie a lot. But the winner is Licorice Pizza for me. My second viewing of Licorice Pizza was absolutely magical. It just hit all the right notes for me. It has impeccable vibes, I would say. Like, it's just a blast for me to watch. It's just a bunch of stuff that I love to see on my screen. And I'm very, very excited to watch it again, hopefully on Blu-ray this next time. It's only the second movie I've ever seen twice in theaters. So that's that's a big stamp of approval for me. And I cannot wait to see it a third time, honestly. And I, you know how I don't watch movies that often too, uh, in succession. But I'm very mm-hmm. excited to see Licorice Pizza again. So that wins the first In the Heights Award for the movie that I'm most likely to watch 14 times. But the last award, nice. we have the Nick Award for the most three and a half star movie. So okay. these, these are going to be a bunch of 3.5 movies, and the winner is going to be the most 3.5 movie of all the 3.5 movies. All right. Did you want to guess the nominees? Um. Well, I'm looking, so I'll say I'll start off with The Green Knight. Did not make the list because I have okay. more complex feelings about that. I don't think I like it as much as I thought I did, I guess. All right. King Richard. Mm-hmm. It's a totally okay. solid movie. It's a perfect 3.5, but it's not the one that that I'm going to give the award here. All right. Um, I'm just looking here. Another one you have is Luca. That is rated a 3.5. No, I do have a couple other animated movies on the list, though. Um, oh, God. Uh, well, you have Mitchell's versus the Machines. That's a 3.5. That's a 3.5. Encanto, that's a 3.5. That's also, on the, that's also a nominee. We have two more nominees. Um, I guess Censor? No, Maybe Censor I actually as... really like. Um, it's just the okay. ending that I don't love. So then West Side Story. No, because I think the filmmaking that in that movie is so good. I can I can old? give you this nominee. No, not old. Okay, which one is it? It's House of Gucci. It was pretty oh. good. Yeah, I didn't have any stronger feelings than that. So those are the nominees. Sense. But the winner is 1998's Mulan, motherfuckers. Oh, fuck you, Nick. <laughs> Nick, fuck you. That's it. The show's over, guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, make sure not to follow Nick on anything that he does. Okay? He's not going to put my this link tree a, in the description. I'm not putting your link tree in the description for this episode. You get nothing for that. I hope you know that. Yeah. I did this whole bit just so I could call Mulan a 3.5 at the end. I hate you. <laughs> I hate you. Terrible. Terrible. All this for a 3.5. I hope you're happy. Sorry, actually, this wasn't the first the first one that I thought of. But once I thought of it, I'm like, okay, that's too perfect. I have to end with that. It was too perfect. Yeah, so I hope that was a fun bit for everyone. I had fun coming up with all these ideas. Uh, I workshopped it with a friend just to see, are these actually funny? So I hope they were funny. I hope everybody enjoyed that. Um, those are the first nuckies, as, as I think we're going to call them now. Um, the nuckies. Yeah, hopefully next year. I did it for the nuckies. <laughs> when directors come up. <laughs> When directors come up to get their award, like, I did it for the nook. <laughs> okay, that was good. No block, no block for you. Oh, God. Yeah, that was uh, fun. I'm, I want to do this again next year. If if you enjoyed it, Manny, then I think I'll do it again next year. I will have my own. Oh, fun. What, what are you going to call them? The Mannies? I don't know. We'll see. You got a year. So we have one more thing we're going to talk about, or I guess you're going to talk about, because there's something you watched. 
There is indeed something that I watched. I watched all seven episodes of The Book of Boba Fett. Such an odd episode number. Not six, not eight, seven. Seven. TV shows don't usually get an odd number of episodes in their seasons. But this one got seven. So there were seven chances to make Boba Fett bad. Um, and it happened five times. Ah, <laughs> uh, this show. I was not particularly, like, excited for it. I was definitely more on the, like, yeah, you know, it's coming out. I'll watch it. Um, and boy, oh boy, this show just disappointed in every facet imaginable and i didn't even have high expectations i was just going off of what the description said which was essentially boba fett and fennec shand have taken over mas espa and jabba's palace and the and the ruling over the crime syndicate and i'm like all right that sounds like it can be cool um little did i know that the first two episodes would have over an hour of flashbacks and 23 minutes of present day content. You spend 20 something, 30 minutes in the first episode, and then you have 12 minutes of actual stuff that happens in the present day. Then you do the same thing in the second episode, but it's even longer. It's like 38 minutes or something like that. And then you have, I think like 13 minutes of actual uh, story beat content. But then when you do get into the present day, okay, you come back, you're in the present day, Things are trying to, you know, move this story forward, not look at what was there. Um, so you start to move the story forward. Um, but everyone's in Ital in, in Italy. They're all just driving Italian Vespas around Tatooine. <laughs> you know, a place that's sand and a junk planet, essentially, where nothing of value is actually supposed to happen on Tatooine except for the pod race. Uh, but they got these shiny Vespas, you know. They're looking around like Power Rangers. Like, I was expecting one of them to be like, go, I don't know, like, like, uh, go rancor zord like they just turn into a bunch of like the zords okay you have like the axu zord from attack of the clones okay you got all these other zords right uh for, for the vespa gang in um book of boba fett uh but then they're like oh guys we hear you guys loud and clear here's the first two episodes of the mandalorian season three in the middle of a story that is supposed to be called the book of boba fett you know it it's I'm sick and tired of the argument of like, well, in the book, there are chapters where characters that aren't the main character go and do their own thing. Yeah, but it's at least tied into the overall story of what's happening. Mando and Grogu and whatever he's doing have absolutely nothing to do with what Boba Fett is doing. They just say, oh, I know a guy. And then you're like, oh, cool. So they'll bring Mando in at some point. Um, No, they give him two entire episodes. In the middle of a show called The Book of Boba Fett. This isn't Boba Fett and Friends. This isn't Mando 2.5. It's called The Book of Boba Fett. I would like to see the character of Boba Fett. You know what we get? We get Boba Fett standing off in the background with his helmet off. And then he's on a speeder. And he's smiling with his, with his dentures that are so white. You know, it's like you have... All of Tatooine that's torn apart and it's disgusting and it's sandy and dusty and old. But man, those dentures, they're so white. They shine brighter than the two suns, okay? And he's just riding on that thing. He's like, like a banta. And that becomes a giant meme for four weeks of everyone just posting that and saying like, oh man, this is peak content. Uh, no, I don't like that. 
Um, but going back to Mando and Grogu, they have nothing to do with the story of Boba Fett, okay? The only reason why he goes back to Tatooine is because he doesn't have the Razor Crest after it got blown up in season two of Mandalorian. So he has to go back because, hey, Mando, uh, Amy Sedaris' character has another ship for him to fly, which is a, uh, it's a Naboo starfighter. It's an NT-1. Um, from the prequels and stuff and sure it's a cool sequence i don't really see mando in that ship if you ask me where is he going to keep his bounties that little spot in the back is only big enough for grogu um but sure now now he's flying this starfighter and he's going through beggar's canyon and tatooine sure that's cool but uh boba fett please uh no you get one second of fennec shan being like um so we need you for this mission he's like cool but i gotta go see some people so he goes to fucking luke and ahsoka in an entire other planet that just again has nothing to do with it he gets ostracized from the mandalorians because he's taken off his helmet so he's no longer a mandalorian um so mando season three is going to be about him going to the cd to the uh tunnels of mandalore he's going to ride a mythosaur um and he's going to get his mandalorian title back and he'll be let back into the creed or something like that. I don't know. Maybe the Vizslas and them will fight. Um, but who cares? Um, so he goes and sees Luke and Ahsoka. And Luke is not actually there. He is a deep faked person. And you think, oh, so they just had an actor there. And they were like reading the lines. Or maybe they had Mark Hamill do voiceover. No, what they did was they took an AI synthesizer of all of like Luke's audio that was clean enough that they could take. And then... Uh, a robot learned how to speak like Luke. Um, so it's not real at all. There's no tangibility to anything that happens in that entire sequence. If you ask me, uh, Grogu is training with Luke for 20 minutes and we don't see anything from Boba or Fennec or what's happening in the crime syndicate or what's happening with the Pikes or anything like that. Um, so, you know, it just takes a nice detour because that's what people like, okay? Mando really works. Sure, Mando works, but the whole point is that the show is about Mando and Grogu. It's not interjecting it into something where it's not supposed to be. The logical stuff makes sense in Mando, even in season two, where some people are like, oh, it's just backdoor pilot the show and everything. This is backdoor season opening right here, okay? This shit's just in the middle of the show, completely interrupting the flow of what's happening, and you just get two episodes of Mando. I like the episodes, but I'm trying to watch something else, okay? They're just throwing in a bunch of plot lines that have nothing to do with each other, and then by the end, you're supposed to be like, eh, eh, pretty cool, right? Um, no. So, all in all, uh, I gave it like a two. I don't really like it. So, yeah. Um, we forgot to warn about spoilers before Manny went on his little rant. Eh, fuck them. So. It'll be two weeks by the time this comes out. I'm still, uh, going to have inserted a bit of me saying that we're going to get into spoilers. Uh, so you, you all will have heard that. I apologize, uh, that Manny got right into spoilers and that I had to do extra work. I was going to make this whole big reveal after me shitting on this show without having seen it for weeks that I was going to make it this big whole reveal that I've actually watched the show. I caught up on it last week and I watched the finale today as of recording so I could be caught up so we could talk about it on the podcast. But that rant that you just went on, which I will uh, mostly agree with as I get into my thoughts, that rant is pretty much going to be the highlight of this entire episode, I think, because you were passionate, you were clear, and I think you nailed it for the most part, I gotta say. So. We can actually talk about the show a little bit of back and forth now if you want. Um, so I had like no expectations for this show, really. And I wasn't interested. Like I waited until I think after the episode six happened, which was the penultimate episode, to actually start watching it because it didn't interest me. All the things I heard about it, I had seen most of the spoilers 
And all the things that I heard about had done nothing for me. It seemed like it wasn't doing anything interesting interesting with the character. It seemed like the all the flashbacks were cutting off the momentum of the show, pretty much from everyone that I saw. Well, not everyone, but a lot of people. It just felt like they didn't know what they wanted the show to be. And then they decided that, that Mando is a character that people like, so we're going to bring Mando into the fold. Which, my understanding at first was that he was just going to be someone that they brought in like as a guest star for an episode, or maybe two, to help out with the situation. But then the show becomes about him for pretty much the rest of the season. Because even the last scene of this season in the finale is Mando and Grogu together. We pretty much feel like we leave Book of Boba Fett off where Boba and Fanic started, basically. And we're back to being about Mando again. It's back to the thing you actually care about. Because they seemed like they felt that what they had with Boba wasn't good enough. And you can really feel that throughout the show because the focus is totally pulled away from your main character for pretty much the last half of this entire season. I find the show very watchable, even episode to episode, like the flashbacks that you talked about. I didn't dislike them. It felt like they disrupted the flow, ultimately, and that it felt like we were never getting much focus on the present day, and that focus lessened by, with each episode. The flashbacks were getting longer, and I think in episode two and in three. And then episode four was mostly a flashback to how Boba and Fennec met. And then the uh, last like minutes of that episode were set up for uh, the next episode, which is the one where Boba's not in at all. And then the episode after that is where we get everyone but Boba, basically. He's in a couple scenes, uh, but that's your setup for the finale, is everybody else but Boba. Everyone that's more important than him is the, are the people that were getting shine. And then we get a decent amount of him in the finale, but it's still mostly about Mando and Grogu at that point. So this show is bizarre, but not in a particularly creative or fun way. It's just bizarre in the fact that this is what they decided it should be. It should be a show where very little actually takes place in the present day. It should be a show where a lot of the first half of the season is going to be told through flashback, and it's not going to really relate to what we're seeing uh, happening in our present day. Um, our present day is going to get minimal focus. It's going to do minimal work to develop its characters. It's going to hope that the little work it did is going to pay off in some way in the finale. And when it feels like it's not working, we're going to bring in a fan favorite or a bunch of fan favorites to spice things up a little bit. And that's what they did. And I feel like they just lost sight of what they wanted the show to be at some point in the process. Even though I find the show watchable and overall enjoyable, more enjoyable than I thought it would be, it's almost a disaster in terms of like implications and treatment of characters and it just makes no sense to me how this was what they decided to make the show be. People say like, oh, you're just an angry fanboy. Maybe. Maybe I am. But I really didn't have expectations for this show. I was just like, oh, okay. Maybe it'll be cool. Um, but one of the things that stood out immediately to me was the characterization of Boba. You know, doesn't have a whole lot in Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi. He has some more in Clone Wars. And I like that. But the way that they characterize him is they're like, oh, he got out of the Sarlacc pit and he was taken in by the Tuscans. Cool. That, that's fine. Like, oh, okay. So he learned, you know, Tuscan culture and all that stuff happened, whatever. Um, I do not need to see two hours of that before we even move the present day story forward. If you ask me personally. Yeah. Um, but not just that, but his character takes a dramatic shift even from Mando season two. Because in Mando Season 2, he was still more aggressive, more ruthless, more like, oh, that's Boba Fett. And here, it just seems like a clone that found the Boba Fett armor and is trying to do right by people. 
maybe this is the story you want to tell, but because we don't have any connection to Boba Fett, trying to make him a good guy and be like, oh, I have bad things in my past. Like when we get introduced to a character later on and he's like, oh, he used to work for the Empire. It's like, cool, but we never saw any of that. So why do we care? Why do we care about this story arc that doesn't happen? He gets out of the Sarlacc pit and he's not a bad guy. He's still a good guy that got captured and is trying to get out. That's really it. There's no character arc for Boba in this show. If you ask me personally, other than him being like, uh, yeah, we can't handle this. So uh, mods and black chrysanthemum, if you want to handle this, take it. Um, that's at least what I got from the end of it. Um, he doesn't grow for me at all in this entire show. And if you want to say, oh, well, he grew in the past. We don't know that character in the past. We don't know who he was before he got eaten by the Starlight Pit. So seeing them start off like, all right, well, he was this bounty hunter. It's like, yeah, but we never saw that. So what does it matter? What does it matter what this character was like before or what, you know, you want to have them do before? If you're telling the story of what they're doing now, then we don't care because we don't have an attachment to this character other than he looked cool. So that already was, you know, a done deal. But like you were saying, where the flashbacks don't really tie into anything, the, the main quote unquote threat of the season is the Pikes who are the real like masterminds of killing Boba Fett's like Tuscan family that he gets taken in by. But Boba doesn't know that until the end of the show. And he's not the one to take out the leader of the Pikes. That's Fennec. So he doesn't even get his proper revenge. It's not he the driving have, force for our main character at it's, any point in the show. There is no driving force for this character in this show at all. He wants he wants respect. Okay, you know what this reminded me of? This reminded me of Bachelor in Paradise when Aaron would just go around <laughs> the entire time and be like, I deserve respect. This was Boba Fett like that. He just went around being like, the people need to respect me. I'm going to rule with respect, not with fear. And the entire show, he does nothing. He goes to, to three sets. You see him in the flashback or he's at the bar club or he's at the mayor's office. That's it. Or he's walking down the same street that Black Panther was shot on. That's all he does for the entire show. He's there. He's unmasked. He's talking to Fennec or he's in a back to tank. Just trying to heal himself back up and we have all these long flashbacks. You can do flashbacks and have them be like meaningful but having it be such a big part of the first half of the show took me completely out because i'm like there's no balance here we talk about the balance in the force there was no balance in this show jesus christ it was so front loaded with flashbacks and then when you got to the present day stuff they didn't do really anything interesting with it because the flashbacks didn't connect to the present day i will compare this to the first season of arrow the first season of Arrow is filled with flashbacks, okay? You have your present day and then you go to your flashback. It's about half and half with that stuff. But what you're getting in that show is you start off with him being, oh, I'm a young playboy. I'm on this ship with my with my dad and this other girl and blah, blah, blah. Stuff happens. He gets marooned on the island. What you're getting in the flashback correlates to what's happening in the present day because he's learning this lesson on the island and he relates that to the lesson that he's going through in the present day the characters that he meets in the past come back in the present the the relationship that he has with slade on the island in the flashback comes back for season two to where they have the shared experiences of being stuck together being on this island together being in love with the same woman and how that grew a divide between the two of them and it creates a good character arc for them you know what you get in this show him with the with the tuscans and that's fine if you want to be with the tuscans all day i have no problem with that call this the book of the tuscans um that's perfectly okay with me but boba is literally just there sitting looking 
looking at everything that's happening, being confused, being just upset about what, what about like, oh, I'm captured until he teaches them how to ride speeder bikes and do a train heist for, I didn't know there were trains in Tatooine. Why are there trains in Tatooine? They're not even on rails. They're not on rails. They're just floating trains. They're hover trains. Yeah, the, the show's a mess. If you ask me, it's, it's such a mess. There's no guiding story anywhere of what's happening unless you put the Mandalorian in where we're already invested in the character. We're already invested in the story. So of course we'd be happy to see him. But the issue that happens with that is that it's, in my opinion, it's Star Wars doing the same old thing that they do where they're too afraid to try to let a character be its own thing without tying it to another character. Now when we think of the book of Boba Fett, we're not thinking about the character of Boba Fett, the arc that he went through, the redemption that he tries to get at the end when he, you know, kills that character or anything like that. We're not thinking about that. We're thinking about the two episodes that have to do with the Mandalorian and Grogu and Luke and Ahsoka. And it just loses focus of what the show wants to be i'll say rather than what it should be because people will get upset with that what it wants to be hell even what it should be with the things that they set up in the show the flashbacks or boba and all this other stuff and the crime syndicate it could easily be boba's trying to run the crime syndicate because of blank 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 reason you know what we get boba wants to run this crime syndicate because he wants respect from people i there's no there's no thing for me to grab on to this character for me to watch seven hours of this stuff. I'm with you. And I mean, I'm amazed that I'm the person almost playing devil's advocate in this conversation because I'm about to kind of do that. And you know how much I shit on current Star Wars. Um, I could see people saying that his arc is that when he's with the Tuscans, they show him that even if people like... There can be misconceptions of you, but you can still do right by other people. You're not necessarily as bad as your reputation means you to, like, as your reputation says you are. Um, and you can use that, the lessons he learned from them before, obviously, they all died. He can use that to guide how he rules as the leader of Tatooine, which is why he spares the Gamorrean guards. That's why he um, decides he wants to have another Rancor and ride another Rancor. Um, it's why he spares uh, Chrysanthemum, the Wookiee, or just lets him go because he's a prisoner to do whatever he wants with. He decides to let him go. He wants to do right by him because he wants to treat people with respect. And then all that comes back in the finale. In theory, that's kind of what it is, but the show is so unfocused that I feel like most of that doesn't really come across. And I feel like I don't know what the solution is for him as a character necessarily, but I feel like the way they presented all of that was kind of unclear. And also, even if that's what it is, it feels still feels weak as a character motivation because we didn't really get much of him going from the Boba Fett he used to be to the Boba Fett he is now. It feels like he comes out of the Starlight Pit and he is already that character. I'm there with you, but I'll also say, like, in my opinion, he's still the Boba Fett from Empire in Mando Season 2, if you ask me personally. Like, that scene where he's killing all the stormtroopers and doing all this other stuff, aside from the end where, like, he's like, all right, I'll, I'll help you and all this other stuff, to me, that just seems like an angry old dude who's pissed off that someone has his armor and will do anything to get it back. And maybe that's, you know, because he learned from the Wookiees or anything like that, but I did not feel that Boba Fett is the same Boba Fett that were presented in this show. It's supposed to be, what, maybe like a week, a month after Mando Season 2, and it feels like such a different character between the two seasons. 
of, of each show. If you want to do like, oh, the, the time jump or whatever, sure, that's fine, whatever. That's, you know, that. But the fact that I can look at Mando season two and this uh, first episode of Book of Boba Fett and say like, they are completely different characters is bad because they're supposed to be very close together. And that's a major issue for me is just that. But I mean, outside of that, a couple episodes were good and I enjoyed. I think the finale as a whole is good. It's fun or whatever. But for a show that I didn't really care for, there was very little for me to care for in the finale. And there wasn't really a reason for like, oh, the Pikes want to go to war. Why do they want to go to war? They just want to rule over Mas Espa? Like you can, you could do that differently. Yeah. Like there were a lot of those things where I'm like, you can do this in a more creative way. You could have more tension with the Pikes early on in the present day. If say, if say a lot of the, the Tusken Raider stuff was hidden and we get allusions to it with little, like, I don't know, a minute, two minute things with him, with the Tuscans, and we can piece that story together. By the time that we get to something, like if they want to reveal, oh, the Pikes are coming, here's why the Pikes are important in my life or something like that, and then you see that, then in my opinion, it has more meaning. But they did what they did, and that's all. There's no point in arguing or, you know, bitching about whatever happened. Move on. I, I... I'm just going to move on with my life. I, I can go watch whatever I want next. I can go put on Back to the Future. I can go put on John Wick. I can spend my time on things that I actually like. But seven weeks of this, I'm I'm good. I'm fine. I have more I was going to say about it. We don't have to like debate it endlessly. Oh, no, go ahead. Because because I didn't I didn't touch on Cad Bane at all, which oh, was a yeah, character were, okay. that I was I thought, excited to see. It sounded like see. you were done. Oh, no. I mean, like I, I was just saying, you know, it is what it is, but... Yeah, didn't touch on Cad Bane at all, who I did like was there, and I did like everything that happened with Cobb Vance, personally, but... Yeah, I, I think... See, that felt natural to me. Like, Cobb Vance being in the show, he's a sheriff of a town on Tatooine that we have, you know, some connection to or whatever. So, that one didn't feel that bad for me, because he has two major, two, three major scenes in there. If you want to do the beginning, when he meets up with Mando, and then when he meets up with Cad Bane, boom, three scenes right there. That's perfect. Doesn't take too much away. And it shows the threat that the Pikes are to not just Mos Espa, but the rest of Tatooine itself. And now that they've hired a hired gun bounty hunter who has killed multiple Jedi in the Clone Wars, you establish a threat right there with Cad Bane, and you give the pikes more intimidation. That's the word. Yes, they're now more intimidating because you're like, oh, okay, this character is here to do business, not just to peddle spice or whatever. There are things where I'm like, okay, that could work. That could work. That could work. But it doesn't ultimately. But Cad Bane was cool. I liked seeing him in live action, which was what everyone thought was going to happen when they saw Dave Filoni was directing the sixth episode. We all were like, oh, okay, so Cad Bane's coming in the show. And to see him was cool, and I thought he was done really well. I like the makeup. I don't know why people are bitching that he's not a dark blue. It fits, and it's live action. He looked fine to me, so whatever. I was going to say, I thought he looked great for a show that looks kind of cheap a lot of the time. I thought Cad Bane looked great. When I say, like, he looked fine, I mean, like, I didn't have a problem with him. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I don't. I didn't watch Clone Wars. I didn't see him in the parts of Clone Wars that I saw, so I don't have any attachment to him as a character. I also don't really know him, but... I think it does a great job of introducing him as a character. I hope it doesn't. I hope he didn't already meet his demise because it would be cool to see more of him. But also, I don't want more uh, death fake outs on Star Wars because we get enough of that. 
So I don't know how I feel about his uh, his possible death scene there, but um, his introduction, that scene, the duel with Cobb Vanth, is probably my favorite scene of this entire season. Like, I think it's my favorite too. Yeah, people talk about yeah. Star Wars just like taking from genres and stuff, and they're like, um, we, we we knew some people who were like, oh, it's like The Sopranos on Tatooine. Moments like that where it's clearly taken inspiration from Westerns. I mean, Cobb Vanth has an entire character. You cast Timothy Olyphant, who's known for playing a sheriff and a marshal in his two biggest shows. You cast him for that kind of thing, and it totally works. And Cad Bane, he makes a great entrance from a distance with his cowboy hat. If you know Star Wars, you know who he is. There's effective buildup, and then you get to see that he's a threat. Like, it's a great scene. It accomplishes its goals perfectly. And, you know, you're off to the races at that point in your penultimate episode of the show. So, you know, you still have the issues of the show there, but we have a great you have a great scene like that. You have a great introduction to a character or reintroduction for people who do know him. There's great stuff there. I think, you know, if you view it in a vacuum, the episode five, the Mando episode was great. I think the first one, not the not so much episode six where we see uh, Luke and Ahsoka and all that. But I think it's like a great Mando episode that for some reason is trapped inside a show that shouldn't be about Mando unless he's in there. For for sure. Yeah. I think I would have been fine if they called him in for one episode to help. I would have been okay with that because he's a bounty hunter. He's an ally. It makes sense to me. You don't. But to shift the whole focus of the show is the problem, even though I think the first the episode five is a great episode that some great stuff happens with him as a character and you don't need that in this show. I don't know why they're rushing to get us back to what the show, what Mando was before we even get to the next actual season. Yeah. And like going off of what you're saying about like, Oh, you could have Mando, you know, like show up for an episode. You could have the end of episode six when they're all meeting and Mando just walks in and Bo was like, Oh, we're going to need a whole garrison. You could honestly cut those two episodes from there two and then whatever of six isn't isn't mando you could cut all of that and then just have that be where it goes maybe you introduce um cad earlier maybe boba and cad have an interaction earlier that way it's like okay we're gonna need some real actual weaponry and an army or a garrison for this because i know um cad bane because they do have a history together in clone wars and stuff it's a bad thing for the show because if you don't know that then you don't really get that but I, I knew that that was a thing. Technically, that's how Boba has his dent on the helmet is because Cad Bane shot him there. But that was previs, but that got cut out. So it's not technically canon, but that's, you know, what a lot of people say. But there's history between the two of them yeah. there. So if he sees Cad Bane, a person that I worked for and with in the Clone Wars that I know has killed multiple Jedi and is now working with the Pikes... You establish dominance and intimidation and something for Boba to, not only Boba, but something for us to sort of see as the main enemy rather than, oh, a drug ring. Yeah, I'm with you there. I like episode five. I just don't like it as a Book of Boba Fett episode. And <laughs> it's a good episode, but it's a good Book of Boba Fett. It's a good Boba Fett episode. Yeah, I knew that's exactly where that was going after I said it. But I mean, it's true. It's it's a good episode but this isn't the time or place for it is the thing yeah okay so i'm going to talk about more mando because that's what people actually care about um <laughs> yeah uh guys i don't recommend book of boba fett i don't know if nick does but we're talking I mean, mando I, now. again i think and i feel like i'm more negative i'm sounding more negative about it than i actually felt because again episode episode i still found it very watchable there is a lot of stuff it's that watchable. doesn't work and there's a lot of stuff i guess before i move on to mando stuff i talked about the show looking cheap and i think i have this problem with star wars at least Star Wars TV now, is that their alien characters 
are just humans. I can see them as humans and make it more than ever. The Twi'lek guy that's like the hand to the mayor, he is just a human character with some with some uh, head tails or whatever they call him. Like, it's, there's nothing alien, I guess, about him, for lack of a better term. He's literally just a human guy. He sounds like a regular American guy, and he just happens to be wearing makeup. The other species that you see populating Star Wars have less identity than ever before in these TV shows. And I felt that way in the very first scene of Mando where you get um, Horatio Sands, I think, the, the blue guy that Mando captures yep. as, his, for, as his bounty. He's just a human guy. He's like, like he's just sounding like any other human character I could see in any other crime show. Uh, but he happens to have blue makeup on. I feel like there's no there's no interesting character to those species that usually add character and life to Star Wars. It feels lifeless in that regard to me. And the rest of the show, like I said, it does. It just looks, even compared to Mando, it looks way cheaper. Like it feels like, I don't know if it was a COVID thing, but it just feels like they cut a lot more corners in production. Especially like the Vespa gang that you were talking about. Every time you see them riding their Vespas, it looks terrible. It's not the be all end all for me, but it's just constant annoyances watching the show that like this looks bad, this looks bad. And some of it looks really good. I think a lot of it still does look good. Like they, they figured out that special stage that they use. They figured out how to use it. But there's just an overriding feeling that it feels small scale, especially because they're only on like two city blocks of Tatooine the entire show. It feels small scale and it just feels kind of cheap, at least compared to what Star Wars usually is. Because, I mean, Star Wars is huge and it's always felt huge. And this one feels more confined. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. I'm of the opinion that it looked very cheap. When it looked good, it did look good. But I'll say this. I think it looked best with the Mando episodes. Oh, yeah. It's disappointing that the best thing i can say is stuff about the mandalorian which i said weeks ago but yes let's talk about mando some good shit so i was like 100 percent convinced that season three would end with a possible reunion between mando and grogu but we get that in the two episode sandwich of this show uh before we even get to season three they're already back together Grogu has apparently made his very, very important choice that he's not going to pursue being a Jedi at all. He's just going to go back with his buddy and go on adventures, I guess. That's insane to me that they just burned through all that so quickly. They burned through him getting expelled from the, the whatever, I don't know what the name is, of the other couple Mandalorians that he's with. Children of the Watch. There you go. He gets expelled from the Children of the Watch. He's off on his own. He's pretty much, he's got nothing. He doesn't even have the Razor Crest. He has to ride a commercial flight back to Tatooine. I was with you with what you said about his Naboo ship. It's like, you're a bounty hunter, dude. You have no room to store anything on that ship at all. It's literally just two little cockpits. More so than anything, I'm like, that's fine. You want to bring in the, the Naboo ship? That's fine. But I'm like, how's he going to keep his bounties? <laughs> like, where is he going to put them? On his lap? He's going to be driving with them the way that like people drive with Hasbulla just on the lap as he's driving? Like, come on. That that It doesn't matter. Anyways, keep going. Yeah, no. Uh, one thing, I think the whole uh, sequence where they're fixing the ship, uh, he and Amy Sedaris and all those droids are, it would have been made better if we had a Red Dead Redemption 2 house building song. What do you think? I love that song. It goes so hard. I put that on my Spotify. And a board and I'll cut it. Well, the original version I don't think is on Spotify, is it? Uh, let me see. I know that a version of it is on Spotify, but yeah. It might be, but either way, it's good. Yes, I, I agree. There should have been a uh, building a house song. Yeah. But again, that whole episode was was enjoyable. You get to see what his life is like now, and you get to see him almost at his lowest low because he's lost the almost the driving force in his life, and he's been turned away by the only people that still like accepted him, the people that he, you know, he grew up not necessarily idolizing, but the people whose religion he follows. He got turned away by them. 
So it's like an interesting place to leave him as a character, but then you get the whole reunion with Grogu. I think going to episode six with the Luke and Ahsoka stuff, it's fine, I guess, like conceptually. I like that he goes there and he gets turned away because Grogu has to decide his path and him being there will pull him away. I like that idea. Of course, the problem is that you have the setup for the Ahsoka show in there. She just she's there for a couple scenes and then she says, I'm leaving basically to go do my own show now. And then you have the just god awful CGI Luke. In terms of aesthetics, it looks better than it did two years ago. I'll say that. It looks so much better than it does. It looks so much better. Like, I'm not a huge fan of it, but I'm like, all right, that looks better. It's the Uncanny Valley still, but it's way better than season two of Mando. That was fine. (laughs) Whatever. It looks better, but the main problem is still that it exists. That's the thing, is that it should not exist in this state. Or, I mean, I'm of the opinion that you should just stop using Luke altogether and stuff like this. I think you should be leaving. I'm right there with you. Stop using Luke. But again, if you're going to have him and he's going to play a prominent role, I don't know if we're ever going to see him again in Mando. I'm, I would I would hope we... Well, I don't want to see him again, but I would hope they don't just totally abandon Grogu's path on the Force just after two episodes of being away. Um, but they might. But yeah, it's like the whole Luke thing. I mean, the fact that they did it this way. I said this to my best friend, but I might have said it to you as well. I think in terms of what Star Wars is now, Solo more than anything shaped that. The failure of Solo made them scared to recast important roles because they didn't do it in Rise of Skywalker. They did the weird thing with like a couple scenes of footage they had with Carrie Fisher. That was the route they went with that. They decided to do this algorithmically uh, generated uh, Uncanny Valley Luke Skywalker with robotic lines, like literally robotic lines. That was the route they decided to go with it because when people look at it, they're reminded of Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker. And they could have Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker doing the voice work for this Uncanny Valley, but they don't yeah, even do fine. that. I know he sounds older, obviously, but still, you could you could do that. You, you could have him on set and then put the young face over him. Just something to have any humanity whatsoever. There's no humanity to this. Yeah. You said there's no tangibility, but like literally no humanity. There's a human on set walking around as Luke Skywalker, but their face is not there. It's a computer-generated face taken from someone 40 years ago. The voice is not there. Someone's, I guess, recording the dialogue, but they're pulling it They're pulling it from an application, and they're putting it in there. Like, there's the voice, the likeness, the acting. None of it's actually there. It's just not there. And I know people love Luke Skywalker, but if I'm going to see my hero like that, I don't want to see him. There is a disconnect for me because I, I know it's not real. You know, there's people that got excited about it. There's people we know that got excited about it. Like, good for you. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you enjoyed stuff about this, but I can't I can't imagine liking this. Yeah, I know. I want interesting things to happen with the characters that I know and love. Or if, in the case of Luke Skywalker, if, in my opinion, he had a good death, leave him alone because I think he's done. I don't need more with him. I don't need to know about what happened in those ensuing years between the movies because I have enough of an idea. You can do books or whatever with that. I don't. I just don't want to see it at this point. That's not what I want. You know, I had what I had from these characters. I'm okay with letting them go. I'm okay with moving on to other stuff, which Mandalorian Season 1 was a lot of that. Mandalorian Season 2 was some of that, even though it became a backdoor pilot machine. The whole Star Wars thing right now is just going in a direction that I don't like, because if they did it for this spinoff of a spinoff, then I can't imagine what they're going to do for all these other spinoffs that don't have an iconic character attached to them by name, because a lot of these shows are not going to have that. Like, they're not going to have even the interest that Boba Fett by name would draw. 
you're going to have to convince people to watch Ahsoka because she's, you know, an animated spinoff character. You're going to have to convince people to watch all these other shows that they're making to bolster those shows, to prop them up. If they had to prop this show up with that, then I'm worried about what the rest of these shows will be. I've never been a person that's wanted this, but hell, I'll take Sebastian Stan playing Luke. At this point, I'm like, he's a person. Yeah, I would. If you're he's going close to, enough, if, if you're going yeah, to bring Luke Skywalker back, just cast an actor. And again, I think, I think solo bombing scared them off from actually ca- recasting actors as younger versions of their characters. I really think yeah. that's what did it. To me, there. I mean, Carrie Fisher, I get almost to an extent, but to me, there's no reason you don't do it for Luke Skywalker. I guess their their fear, and they're probably right in this, is that people are going to throw a fit because people always throw a fucking fit whenever something's not the way they remember it being when they were ten. That's the way they perceive their fandom to be, and they're not entirely wrong in that. But even so, this is just this ain't it. Yeah, I'm with you. I I don't think you saw it, but um, I was watching Dan Merle's video earlier today on it, and um, he was essentially saying what we're saying, where it's like Star Wars has just become a machine where people that we know will come in and interrupt any story that happens because hey, I know that thing, and that's something that I don't like. There, like, there's a reason why Star Wars Visions fucked so hard it was because it had nothing to do with anything and it was doing something new every time i'm fine with you know if you want to do an anthology series or whatever go for it do it please i welcome that if you want to do something like clone wars even where it's like oh hey you know well let me rephrase that if you want to do something like a clone wars format where you have three episodes for this character, then you go to like three episodes for that character, whatever. Fine, do that. But just shoehorning stuff into shows because it's a thing that we like, I don't, I'm not a fan of that personally. And when you talk about, oh, they don't want to recast Young, it's so funny because I always see people saying like, oh, cast Sebastian Stan for Luke, cast him for Luke. And then they watch this and they're like, oh my God, it's so perfect. And I'm like, what? I don't want anything with Luke anymore. I'm I'm over it. I like you said, I knew exactly what I needed to know after returning the Jedi. He started to do he wanted to do a Jedi school to bring back the Jedi and the Jedi Order and all this other stuff, but he saw darkness and he saw failure in himself that reflected when he was a younger kid and because of that he went and searched out for the sacred text and blah blah blah. Like you get a good Luke story in my opinion in Last Jedi to where you don't need to see him younger anymore but people are gonna do what they're gonna do so (laughs) but yeah i'm not a fan of the digitization of characters and the robotization robotization i don't know if that's a word but i'm saying it robotization yeah exactly it's my word now i don't even want to say the word is comfort but the only comfort i feel from this is that i know mark hamill's alive to sign off on it a lot of people are not uh when this stuff is happening and that's where it feels even more icky but I guess, you know, Mark Hamill's getting paid, I'm sure. So I guess good for him. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, guys, make sure to see the James Dean movie starring James Dean. Oh my God, I forgot about that. Is that actually still happening? Did they ever shoot that? I believe so, yeah. I think that's happening. Oh boy, okay. So uh, that's fun. Yeah, I I apologize if it sounded like, I mean, it did sound like we shot all over this show. I sounded much more negative than yes. I actually felt watching the show episode to episode because, like, it's fine. Everyone's fine. Like, the actors are all fine. There's nothing outwardly weak about any performances or anything. Again, watchable, yeah. I think, is the word. You can totally watch this show and enjoy stuff in it. Um, depends on what you like in your Star Wars and just kind of what you like in your movies and TV in general. This is mm-hmm. far removed from what I want stuff that I watch to be, even what I want Star Wars to be. 
other people, like I said, it, it'll work for you. And, you know, people we know in our Discord and stuff like that, they seem to like the show a lot more than we did. I'm happy for them, but this just isn't it for me. And I sounded really angry. And I mean, I'm not really angry. I'm just kind of frustrated with uh, what happened. And it's not because of expectations, I don't think. I think it's just there were things there that I saw that they could have done that they didn't execute on. And that's my main thing, is that I was bored with the direction that they took. And that's kind of the worst thing you can do um, for me personally, is if you bore me, you will get a reaction like that out of me. But it's, again, it's not the worst thing in the world. It's just boring. Those are our thoughts on Book of Boba Fett. Yeah. And I think that's going to bring an end to the show. I think so. It, again, it actually seemed like we were making good time for a while. And then... <laughs> we were. And then... Oh, boy. Then we started talking about Oscars, and then we went into Boba. So it it took a little bit. You Are you sad that they didn't do, like, this is my Boba? He's got my <laughs> Damn it. I fucking hate you. <laughs> it's like your fifth block pull of this, of this recording. Just imagine, like, Fennec goes in to, like, see the mayor, and he's like, this guy is Boba. He's got my back. That's one more thing. She's a totally forgettable character, and I wish I liked her more. I like her fine. It's just that she wasn't given anything to do. Yeah, she has, like, badass it's... moments, I guess, but I need more than that. There's, yeah. like, I still know nothing about her as a character, except that she respects yeah. Boba and appreciates that he saved her life, I guess. She feels indebted, but she also, like, yeah. likes him, I guess. I don't know. I need more. I don't know. And we didn't even go into the whole mods stuff. We didn't talk about any of that. Oh, uh, yes. That we could have, but... Anyways, if you guys enjoyed the show, we hope that you guys did enjoy. Oh, I'm glad that you guys enjoyed the show. Remember, we're two assholes on the internet sharing an opinion that no one cares about. So we do not want this to take away from your enjoyment of anything. And don't let anything that we ever say sway you in any way, shape or form. Please, you know, enjoy the things you do. We have our own things that we enjoy. I'll go watch High School Musical, all three sequels and stuff and have no issue with that. And be like, yes, this is cinema. So don't take my opinion. It's worth absolutely nothing. Yeah, I think respecting opinions can go both ways. I think even if you heard us shitting on this for an hour, I feel like if it's something you really enjoyed, hearing us shit on it shouldn't affect your enjoyment of it. If to me, like if your opinion is swayed negatively by someone else being negative about it, then I feel like your your appreciation of something wasn't as strong as you thought it was if it could be so easily swayed. I guess that's how I've always seen it because I do complain about a lot of things. And I feel like people say I'm too negative sometimes, but I feel like if you really love something, what I say shouldn't matter. Yeah, I'm right there with you. We uh, we we still like Star Wars. At the end of the day, <laughs> yeah, I still like Star Wars. We're about to get I into mean, some fun commentaries whenever we get back to Star Wars. Yeah, we'll get back into the good movies. But uh, guys, thank you for listening. This was almost a three-hour episode. We went long this time. Uh, Nick and I usually do, but. It is what it is. Thank you guys for listening. If you guys want to support us or anything like that, make sure that you guys click on the little link trees down in the description. If you guys want to come watch our Twitch streams, hey, go go support the Twitch that's over there as well. Um, other than that, thank you guys for sticking with us for this long. Yep, thank you all. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.